Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight all the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star-spangled banner yet wave all the land of the free and the home of the brave tell you what how to ruin a main line of a song i've got that star-spangled banner line messed up big time but uh, anyway, John LeBond here on the 11th of, no, the 9th of November, 2016, Australian time. And the results are coming in. It looks as though Donald Trump might be the president-elect of the United States. Can you believe that one? Boy, oh boy, what a world we live in. So anyway, the plan for today is just to take a little look at this presidential election and I've also put together for you, the viewers and the listeners, a little slideshow that I'd like to talk us through uh, in a similar fashion to what I did for the presidential debate a few weeks ago. Now, if you are listening on delay, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that show before continuing to listen to this one. However, if you're listening live or you're just too anxious to get started, then don't worry because this one will be self-referential and will be self-contained. So everything that I have to say will be all good to go if you are fresh to all of this. But uh, wowee, I'm still coming to grips with it. I have started this show a little bit later than planned because uh, I wasn't expecting this Donald Trump win. And what you can guarantee is that a lot of people are going to come out of the woodworks and say that they predicted this one from the start. But I think those of us who've been paying attention will know that that's not true. In fact, it's actually the opposite of the case because a lot of them were saying that Trump could not win because the whole thing was rigged in favor of Hillary. And uh, look, the results still aren't officially in, but everything that I say from this point forward will be working on the basis that Trump is to become the president-elect because as I said, that is the news that's flowing through and it will be very interesting for me to see uh, what is said by people in the so-called alternative media and the so-called independent media over the coming hours, days, weeks, and even months? How will people react? Because I'm being straight up with all of you, as I have the whole time. I didn't know what would happen with this election. I did not know who would win. I didn't have a strong feeling either way. Uh, in Australia, maybe a week or two ago, one of our betting agencies was paying about $5, $5.50 for a Trump win, which made him the huge underdog. Um, it was sort of seen as being a very unlikely thing 
that he could possibly win, at least in Australia. And I'm sure it was very similar around the world. But I thought, hey, it's a two-horse race. Who knows what's going to happen with this little circus? And, uh, yeah, for me, it was 50-50. And sure enough, uh, Trump has gotten up. And had Hillary gotten up, I wouldn't have been surprised. Trump gets up, I'm not surprised. Who knows? It's all a circus, all a charade, in my opinion. I'll explain why I hold that opinion in a moment. But if you're listening to me and you have been listening for a couple of weeks, then uh, I'm sure you'll understand that this has been my position for a long time now, that these presidential uh, debates are little more than circuses for the masses. And if you read the work of Edward Bernays, who was, of course, the nephew of Sigmund Freud and considered by many people to be the father of what we now call public relations and the author of a book, literally wrote the book on propaganda, he said quite blatantly and explicitly in that book, which was written 80 some years ago, that uh, the American people think that they're electing a president, but really a bunch of men in a hotel room sitting around decide who may or may not be the president. And then from there, it's really just leading the public in the way that has been predetermined. And hey, that's not my opinion. That's not the opinion of a conspiracy theorist. That was Edward Bernays, who was uh, on the Committee for Public Information, might have even formed it. He was working closely with the government at the time. And that's official history. That's not my history. That is the official history of Edward Bernays and his relationship with the government. An insider saying 80 years plus ago, uh, the American people don't really decide these things. Other men do, and they pay me to make the masses go along with it. But we'll talk about all of that and more later in the show. Let me just quickly make sure that the audio is coming through and it appears that it is. So what I want to do today is go through a little list of uh, slides that I've put together for you guys in the audience and uh, then just give my thoughts on each of these slides so that uh, it gives me something to work off as we go through the show. So I'll just screen share that right now and then we'll get going. So I think we're good. Now this one, the ride never ends. And uh, isn't that true? It just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Who would have thought 30 years ago when they were watching Back to the Future with Marty McFly and Doc, who would have thought that that Biff Tannen caricature of this man who uh, uses his great wealth and fortune to uh, dominate the political landscape, who could have thought that 30 years later we'd have something similar with Donald Trump. Fast forward a little bit, or let's go back a little bit, shall we, to the times of The Apprentice. The Apprentice was a big show on television when I was in high school. So we're only going back 10 or 15 years there. Who would have thought that Donald Trump then would become the president of the United States of America? I don't think many people would have. Who, when they were watching those uh, Miss America pageants and Donald Trump either running or managing or owning the whole thing, who knows what the, who knows what was going on there? Who would have thought that that guy would be president of the United States of America? Boy, oh boy, wowee. Well, here we are. Who would have thought when they were watching The Simpsons? Was it five, ten years ago? There was an episode with the President Trump. Who would have thought, seeing any of this on their television screens, who would have thought watching the World Wrestling Federation or World Wrestling Entertainment, the character of Donald Trump, who would have thought that that same character would be president of the United States of America. It just seems to get weirder and weirder and weirder, doesn't it? The ride never seems to end. But with all of that said, even though this does appear to be somewhat of a circus, somewhat of a charade, almost like a made-for-TV film that just keeps going and going, 
there's still things that we can learn from it and there are still things that we can use as the basis for further discussion and contemplation. And that's my hope with the rest of this show. So let's move on, shall we? Now, I was singing a rendition of the national anthem of the United States earlier in the show. Didn't quite hit the notes that I was hoping to hit, but uh, like I said, not a song that I'm very familiar with. And also, I can't sing. So you put those two things together and, uh, hey, at least I tried. But he's a great man in American history, Henry Ford Sr. And this is a quote from some literature that he released uh, many, many, many decades ago, getting towards the best part of a century ago. And he said this, and I quote, controlling the world's sources of news, Jews can always prepare the minds of people for their next move. The greatest exposure yet to be made is the way that news is manufactured and the way in which the mind of whole nations is molded for a purpose. When the powerful Jew is at last traced and his hand revealed, then comes the ready cry of persecution and it echoes through the world press. The real causes of this persecution, which is the oppression of the people by the financial practices of the Jews, are never given publicity, end quote. And that's from Henry Ford Sr. And it's given a date there of May 1920. Henry Ford, this great icon of American industry, with some very interesting comments about a small subsection of the American and world community at the time, who still to this day might wield a lot of influence and power. Now, if you're new to my work, you might be wondering, okay, well, I get the relationship is a great American industrialist, but what is... What does he have to do with the rest of the show? Well, again, if you go back and listen to the show that I did after the presidential debate a month or so ago, you'll note that one of the groups that I've been paying attention to lately and I guess studying and trying to learn from is this alt-right. And in particular, places like the 4chan and 8chan poll boards, which for a very brief or concise overview, uh, image boards that seem to have uh, developed a an audience, a somewhat sizable audience of largely disaffected and disenfranchised young men, white men around the world, who were concerned about things like race realism and the uh, imposition of multiculturalism without any democratic vote on these matters. They're concerned about things related to this cultural Marxism, all the rest of it. And uh, just like any scene or any, I guess, uh, interactive environment, they always attract a, a diverse range of people. But a large chunk of them seem to be people who are young, but they're energized by this notion that if enough of them are there, they might well be able to uh, influence public discourse. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them seem to have bought into the idea that Trump is their man. And in many ways, uh, at least online, there was a large uh, overlap between Trump supporters and the Trump campaign and people who I so associate or identify with the alt-right. And in particular, like I said, those image boards 4chan and 8chan and what I find very interesting is that many of these young uh, people many of these people in general and all young but many of these people they seem to be aware of things like the JQ and cultural Marxism critical theory the Frankfurt School etc and they seem to be aware of many things including this quote from Henry Ford senior uh, but somehow they still seem to believe that Donald Trump is their man and I find that to be uh, a rather amazing very peculiar and also almost amazing sort of contradiction uh, going on within their minds to simultaneously hold both of those views or both of those outlooks or uh, all of that information at the same time. So as we go through the show, I'll explain a little bit more about my views on that because I can see that this 
win for Trump if it goes ahead, as we've uh, discussed. If it goes ahead, I can see many of them being very energized and enthusiastic and excited, just like eight years ago, there were many social justice warriors and uh, would-be liberals and progressives and you know young utopians and idealists who thought that Obama was going to change the world. And I have to confess, I was a, a university student back when Obama got in. I was a brainwashed moron. And I thought that Obama getting in was a good thing. I wasn't quite as passionate about the whole thing as uh, many young people are about Trump. But uh, I did believe in Obama. And of course, I soon realized, wow, I got sucked in. And I've got a funny feeling many of these people will too. So that's a quote from Henry Ford Sr. If you're not familiar with what Henry Ford Sr. had to say about uh, the usual suspects, then it is well worth your time looking into it. You might find yourself wondering, why wasn't I told about this at school? Moving on. Now, most of the people who watch my work have seen my work before. There's very few people who would uh, stumble across my work fresh who hadn't seen it before. But uh, at the same time, it's always worth mentioning if this is the first time you've watched one of my videos that uh, I do cover some content that some people, they might not really like to see, they might not be happy about. So I have to sort of explain to you, there might be some things that are said in this presentation that you might find offensive, that you might not want to hear. But uh, that's not my plan. I don't want to upset or, you know, uh, confuse anybody or confound anybody. All I'm trying to do is share with you some information or some ideas that I have come across in my time looking into these things. And uh, what I think I'm, what I'm presenting is I think the truth, but I'm always happy to change my mind if there is counter evidence that is presented. And I hope that you feel the same way, that you will change your minds when new information or ideas are presented that seem to be more compelling or have more of an evidence base than what you previously believed. So it's a little bit cliched, this idea of the blue pill and the red pill, obviously uh, a reference to the film The Matrix and this uh, notion that's sort of spawned since then of most people taking blue pills and some people taking the red pill and changing their outlook. Of course, in real life, it doesn't really work like that. There's no one single thing that can change everything. If we're conditioned and programmed over many years and countless hours of television and the education system, then one single new piece of information won't undo all of that. It is a process. But at the same time, there are a few key things that if you can get your head around, might go a long way to helping you onto a different path of thinking. And that's all I'm offering you with this is my opinion. And uh, if you can take anything, even one good thing out of this, then it might be well worth your time. Now, one thing I do like about the alt-right, there are many things that I like about the poll boards and all of that, but one thing in particular that I like is that they've identified the inherent contradictions and hypocrisy of people who believe in the dogma and the doctrine they've been given through the education system. And this a little meme or this little uh, picture, I think, explains it very well. You've got the man with the uh, the straight jacket on. He looks pretty crazy. And really, you have to be crazy to believe all of these things at the same time. And it says, whites are oppressors. Non-whites are victims. But race doesn't exist. But I love racial diversity. And differences. Because we're all the same. So let's destroy diversity by mixing together but only in white countries. And of course, anyone who has gone through the education system, 10, 12, 13 years, if they go to college or university, 15, 16 years, where does it end? Many of them, by the time they come out the end of it, they do believe a number of things that contradict one another. There's a small list of them there. And that is a result of it. I did go into some detail about this in my last uh, major presentation after that uh, presidential debate between Trump and Clinton. So I won't spend too much time on it here, except to say that 
I think they've got it right. They, they point out the contradictions that these people uh, have. They, they say that we're all the same, but that somehow uh, white people are racist toward people. Or they say that uh, we're all the same, but whites are oppressing the other people. Well, how can you, if we're all the same, how can one group be oppressing the other? And it's like, well, we're the same, but we're not really the same. Race exists, but you're racist. And we love diversity, which is why we want to bring lots of non-white people into white countries, which obviously will get rid of one major part of the world, which is white people and all these sorts of things, uh, many contradictions. And these, this is, like I said, this is just a small list. People on the alt-right and many other people have identified that there, there are many internal contradictions in the mind of your typical social justice warrior or just your typical normie. What I'm going to point out to you today is that maybe there are some of these contradictions in the mind of your typical alt-right uh, believer, if you like. That's basically going to be one of the theses of the presentation that you're seeing today. Check to make sure this is all coming through. So we'll go back to the end. Where are we? Beautiful. So let's carry on then. Now this, I love this little piece of artwork. This one I think is terrific. It is, um, it's basically two people. They look relatively young and uh, one of them appears to be sort of on the verge of um, psychological extinguishment, if you like. They've got their YouTube and they've got uh, their other social media forms, emoticons, Twitter, what have you. Virtual reality, they're wearing their virtual reality goggles. The other one has Facebook. They're sitting there with their fast food and their beers and uh, basically they look like they're zonked out, like they're zombies. And of course, as we know, we live in a world where many people are practically zombies. They're living in a virtual reality. Much of the information that they get, much of the socializing that they do, it's online, uh, so much of it, and to the point where now young people who, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, they've had social media, this ubiquitous social media, as far back as they can remember. They're just used to the idea of, oh, yeah, I'll post something and people will thumbs it up or people will reshare it, and this idea of, getting validation from the world instantly or in real time using virtual means. They don't know any different. Similar to information, they'll get a, you know, uh, Obama said this or Trump said this or Clinton said this or this happened. It'll come to them instantly on their smartphone or on their computer via a tweet, you know, small little chunks of information. If we just use the, the term information without ascribing value to it, bits of data coming to them straight away. They are in, if you consider that our reality is made up of the information that is in our possession, things that we think we know, then young people today, many people today, but especially young people, they're living in a virtual reality all the time. Even when they're not wearing their goggles, they're living in a virtual reality. If you have a conversation with someone on the street and you ask them for their opinion on Trump or on Clinton, very good chance that their opinion has been heavily molded, not only by television, but also by their Facebook feed and the opinions of their friends, to use one, I guess, um, rough example, imagine a young person who goes to a school where most of the young people think that uh, Clinton is good, that the Democrats are good and all these sort of things, and they think that Trump is bad. Even if that person themselves does harbour some sympathy for Trump or his platform or his policies, they're liable to see either themselves or somebody else post along those lines and then get browbeaten for it. In a virtual sense, they won't get yelled at uh, physically, because it'll be on Facebook. Someone will say, oh, you're a bad this, you're a racist, you're a this, you're a that. This is going to mould them just like all social conditioning does, just like um, 
you know, what do we call it, uh, herd psychology, if you like. We are largely conditioned by the socializing that we do, even if that socializing is online. The opinions of others, the responses of others, humans seem to have this natural yearning to fit in. And you don't need to get into a sociological or a anthropological explanation as to why that is. I think we can all just agree this is how people tend to be. They generally want to fit in, even if they don't necessarily want to go with the flow completely they'd rather not go against the flow most of the time. And there's always that small group of people who do the opposite. They're contrarians. Generally, though, they are, they're very different. The majority of people do want to go along. And so even if it's simply a matter of osmosis, taking in this idea of what do people like, what do people think, what is acceptable, over time, what we see on our Facebook feeds or our Twitter feeds or the things that are bombarded to us from Reddit or whatever it is that we're subscribed to, this will affect what we think is true this will affect our reality and you can test this for yourself if you don't believe me. I'm sure that you do, but you can test this for yourself just by asking regular people, what do you think about topic X, Y, or Z or candidate A, B, or C? And whatever they say to you as a reason, ask them how they know that, where they learn that, where they get that impression. Very quickly becomes clear, well, you know, I got it from not just television, not just radio, but particularly social media, especially younger people. And we have to understand that this is the people that we're dealing with. And by people that we're dealing with, I mean myself and many of the people who watch my stuff regularly, we don't have Facebook. We don't watch television uh, unless it's for a specific purpose, such as the US federal election, checking that out or what have you. But in terms of just regular television, in terms of, I mean, I've got a YouTube channel, obviously, that's a form of social media. But in terms of your Facebooks, or your Twitters, I don't have those sorts of things. And there are many people like me who just don't anymore. But we have to understand we're surrounded by people who do, and that is the reality now. That is the, that's a large part of what the consensus is. Whatever the consensus is, that's why it is that way, because these are the people that we're dealing with. And so uh, not merely from the practical perspective of, well, how do we interact with the world around us, but also from, I guess, if we do get into the sociology of it, the sociological aspect of trying to understand how are people, uh, the way that they are, why are people the way that they are? You know, it's one thing to say, oh, that person's wrong because of blah, blah, blah. But I think it's always useful to try and understand, yes, but why? Even if we can show that they're wrong with logic or with evidence or what have you, let's understand why they are that way as well. And that can also be very beneficial for us. So I think when we try to keep in mind the fact that people today are living in what is essentially a virtual reality, that can help us understand why people can believe what they believe. Not just the social justice warriors and the progressives and the liberals, but also people on the old right, people on the poll boards, what have you. Uh, the poll board is a virtual thing as well. You know, you're taking part in a message board. You're not really there with anonymous. You're not really there with fam. You're not really there with whoever's posting the post before or after or in reply to you. It's all virtual and yet it can affect you in ways that are similar to being around that person. And so if you're in a room with 10 or 15 people, you're all laughing at this liberal fool. You're all laughing at that Obama quote, what have you. If that happens in real life, that can be very powerful. It can make you feel like you're part of something. Of course, when you're on an image board, you're not really with those people. And oftentimes, we can project ourselves onto what we're reading. So, you know, even just as simple as reading a comment on a message board, we're reading that or not. And so it can become very personal when in reality, we're all by ourselves. We're in a, a library or in a room or at school or at work or what have you, reading someone's comments who will never meet they're not really there. It's a virtual thing, but it's affecting our reality. It is virtual reality. Very important to keep that in mind. 
So we'll move on then. Now, another thing that's very important to understand is the deliberate dumbing down of the United States and, of course, the entire Western world. Now, I highly recommend for the small percentage of you who listen to my work for ideas on where to go and do your own research, I cannot recommend highly enough John Taylor Gatto. I'm sure that name rings a bell for many of you, and he has released a number of books which are well worth looking into, but even just listening to an interview with him might be worth your time. I listened to an interview with John Taylor Gatto and Jan Irvin of Gnostic Media, and it was a couple of hours long, actually. It might have been three hours uh, looking back, but the man speaks very well, and so you can just listen to a podcast and get a, a basic overview of who the man is, what he did, and why what he has to say holds so much weight, but the concise summary is this. A man went into teaching and he did very well in teaching. He hadn't gone through the, the regular pathways to become a teacher, if memory serves me correctly. He'd gone into uh, some other field, then gone into teaching, and he used his own methods for teaching classes. This might have been in New York, if memory serves me, and he did very well. He found that he was getting terrific results with his children, much better than all of the other teachers. This happened again and again. And before long, he was recognized with an award, something along the lines of New York's best teacher. Might have even won that two years in a row. A prestigious award. He was recognized by his peers and I guess by the system as doing really well with the children. Well, long story short, he himself became disillusioned with the education system because it occurred to him he wasn't meant to be teaching these kids. He wasn't meant to be helping them uh, to learn how to use their own brains and how to think, how to be creative how to use logic. That actually wasn't his job. That wasn't the system's job. It appeared to him that the system was designed to make people stupid. And of course, he railed against this. Didn't work out particularly well for his teaching career. And so he made a name for himself speaking out against this kind of stuff. And um, I'm not sure if he's still with us. The Gnostic Media uh, interview that I heard with him was from several years ago, and he was getting on in age by then. But even as an elderly man, he spoke a lot more sense than the vast majority of people who I know my age, very well-spoken individual. What I'll do is I might see if I can find a link to that interview and post it in the info box below. I know many people don't want to take the time to read books, so they don't feel they have the time to read books anymore. I understand that. I don't read enough books myself, trust me. So even just listening to John Taylor Gatto with an overview of his life's work and his insights, and it's not simply a matter of saying, oh, they're trying to dumb down our children and leaving it there. He goes into great detail about some of the thinkers before him, some of their ideas about uh, pedagogy, how to teach children, and when you contrast that with what happens today, uh, he makes a very compelling case that the education system uh, in our Western world today is not there to churn out people who can think for themselves. And so in this photo here, we've got, uh, it's like a cartoon, I suppose. You've got a number of children writing on the, the chalkboard there, uh, barely making legible writing. And uh, you've also got a couple of cameras as well because many schools now, uh, looking like prisons in my country. I'm, I'm back in Melbourne at the moment and uh, I've wandered past a couple of the schools that I went to when I was growing up and they're all covered by uh, at least six foot tall walls. One of them, I think it might be closer to 10 feet tall, these um, giant barred walls all around the campus of the high school and in the primary school as well, just surrounded by at least six feet around the primary school and uh, a good 10 feet, I would guess, around the high school that I went to. And uh, if you didn't know better, if, if, you were, if you were transported from, say, the mid-1980s, you know, you'd just watched Back to the Future with Marty McFly and Doc and Biff Tannen, and someone transported you 30 years to uh, 2016, you'd be like, did they turn this into a prison? What happened? Where'd the high school go? 
you know, they're looking like prisons now. So that's in the cartoon as well. You've got the crazy-looking child reading herd mentality made easy, of course. You think about what is a school? You know, you've got a school of fish who all swim in the same direction. And we've got schools where you have 15, 20, 25 children in a classroom all having to do the same thing, all having to think the same thing, give the exact same answers. You are building up a herd mentality. And also you're putting children together in an environment where they're naturally going to want to get along with each other. So the one who sticks out, the one who doesn't do, doesn't conform to the rest of them, well, he's in a room, like he's surrounded by four walls. He's going to very quickly find himself ostracized or called out. So you're almost encouraging a herd mentality in them when they're very young, which seems to transmit or translate into adulthood as well. And this is something else that John Taylor Gatto does talk about. You've got a child there with what appears to be a uh, mobile phone. Of course, many uh, children now take their mobile phones to school with them. You've got the Ritalin there, the less said about Ritalin, the better. And you've got a Red Bull can as well because in many schools and certainly in mine uh, when I was in high school, you've even got vending machines for things like a Red Bull or even just for Coca-Cola. These are the kind of chemicals that people are putting into their bodies uh, at school. You know, parents are sending their children to school thinking or wanting to think that the school is there to make their child smarter or wiser. And uh, at a recess lunch, the child is drinking Coke or even worse, Red Bull. And you think about what is this doing to their minds? What is this doing to their bodies? Are they going to uh, be educated and to learn to think? Or are they going there to be poisoned in body, mind, and spirit? I think many of you know the answer to that question, but I thought this little image was worth playing uh, anyhow as a nice little segue into the next one, which is this. Now, this book is called Teaching the Retarded by Catherine A. Blake, and it says how to organize, design, and manage instructional programs that lead to higher academic performance and greater social expectations. And I haven't checked this one for a while, but I'm pretty sure when I first saw this image, I double-checked the text, and um, it was written seriously. Like This is a serious uh, book from memory. The idea being that when you're talking to people whose uh, development as the to be, you have to implement different methods for teaching. And this is common sense. This is natural. This is obvious. We've got a problem, though. If it is the case that most of us have gone through an education system which seems to have intentionally slowed us down a little bit, and I'm trying to be subtle in my language there, but if we've all gone through a system that seems to have taught us to conform, not really taught us how to think for ourselves, but basically encouraged us to be stupid, then when some of us realize that that's happened, try to undo that programming and then learn to think or, or uh, re-exercise, I guess, the mental muscles or the mind muscles, if you like that analogy, when it comes to thinking for ourselves and doing our own research and what I call the general process of deprogramming, what we're going to find is that when we try and explain what we feel we've discovered to our peer group, we're going to have to implement some of the methods that somebody like Catherine A. Blake might have been talking about. And so if you look at my entire compendium, back catalogue of the work that I've been doing for a couple of years, and start from the start and work your way to today, I'm not saying you should do this or asking you to do this. I don't think anybody will do this. But if you were to do that, you would see a progression. You would see somebody starting off at a certain point saying quite openly, I'm just searching for answers here. I've got a lot of questions. I think I've found a few answers, but I'm happy to revisit them 
uh, where is this all going to take me? And let me see what I can share with you while I'm doing that. One of the main things that I've learned in those two years is that even though some of my audience, a small percentage of my audience seem to be on a similar level or a similar path or to have some things in common psychologically to myself, the bulk of the people who uh, consume my work, who kind of thing, for one reason or another, they might not yet have deep pro things that I'm saying to make sense. And I'll give you one basic example. If you find yourself easily aggravated by the opinions of someone else to the point where they say something and you think that they're wrong or that they're offensive or whatever, and you find yourself having an emotional response, getting angry at them or getting jealous of them or want in your mind thinking that you would like to exact vengeance on that person or something like this, if you're having strong negative emotional reactions to what they're saying, then what's happening is you're being triggered. There are anchors in your mind that might have been put there by the education institutions or by other establishment institutions or might have developed organically, regardless of how they got there, there are anchors in your mind and they're being triggered, you see. And once that happens, you can no longer think logically, rationally, you're going to be unable to take in new information, synthesize new ideas, change your opinion. You're not going to be able to do that. And it turns out that the vast majority of people in this scene, and you can call it the alternative research scene, not that many people here do any actual research. You can call it the conspiracy realm if you like, not that I identify as a conspiracy theorist. In fact, a lot of the work that I do is debunking their nonsense beliefs, especially about things like Tesla and that kind of thing. Whatever you want to call this little scene that we're in, it seems to me that the majority of people are very easily triggered. And so when I'm speaking about things, just by speaking my opinion and presenting my evidence, I'm going to trigger people. There's no way for me to avoid that. But at the same time, I do try to make sure that this stuff that I do for the public, for public consumption, because I've got private stuff as well, and maybe I'll discuss that later, but the stuff for public consumption, I'm trying to present it in a way that those who are interested in, in learning or improving themselves the same way that I am, they will be able to get something from this. Some people, though, there's no getting through to them, I'm sure. Catherine A. Blake, I haven't read that book, I'll confess, but I'm sure Catherine A. Blake would also say that you can try and use the best methods that uh, we've come up with. Some people you're just not going to get through to. That's the way it seems to me. Maybe I just have to keep working on my methodology and, hey, leave your feedback in the comments below if you've got any constructive criticism for me. Always happy to take it on board. But the reason why I brought that image in is because I want to now talk about this image. And you might say, well, JLB, this is very far removed from the Trump election. They've just elected Trump, dude. Why aren't you talking about Trump? Don't worry. We'll talk about Trump. But there's a reason why I'm going through this clip at the start. And the other benefit of doing it this way is that at some point in the future, I can cut each of these images or subsections of the presentation out and upload them as their own video. So there's a number of benefits to doing it this way. So don't worry, I promise we'll talk about Trump soon because there's some very important things to say about old mate Trumpy. But just for the time being, I've got some important points to make about this. Now this, I found this one, I'm pretty sure this I, I found this on the one of the poll boards as well, 4chan or 8chan. And I know that some of you are gonna say, oh, 4chan poll is very different to 8chan poll. And you know, that's fine. I'm not trying to say they're the same, but just for, for me, I'm someone who is happy to visit one, visit the other. You know, I, I just take in information and ideas as, a, as I find them. I'm not trying to say they're the same, but when I say that these images that you're seeing today, many of them came from the poll boards. It came from one of the two, okay, many of them. And I think that this one did as well. Now, this is called the maturity climb. And this is, of all the artwork that I've found, all of the 
images and memes that I found, this is easily one of my favorite. And if I were a teacher, or if I were the father of a, a young school-aged child, this is the kind of image I would put in a classroom or in the uh, bedroom or in a lounge room or and some of the people I deal with, I'd put it in adults' houses, you know what I mean? Because as you'll see, this a lot of people aren't anywhere near as mature as they might like to think. So let's go through this maturity climb and I'm hoping that the zoom is coming through. So you've got three levels there and you've got a whole bunch of goats, which is an interesting analogy as well. And you've got the immature there. You've got some who are trying to reach maturity in the middle and then you've got the mature at the top. Now, obviously, this is an analogy to the process of maturing as a person. Okay, this is an analogy. So please don't get triggered. Don't think that anybody's calling you a goat. What we're saying is that this is a, a nice little, I guess, framework, if you like, of goats trying to walk up the hill. Can you get up the hill or is it too hard? Will you stay down at the bottom level? And of course, nobody's perfect. But if we look at, some, and I'm definitely not perfect, but if we look at some of these, I guess, uh, attributes or personality traits, will very quickly, I think, identify some of them that apply to people that we know, maybe even apply to ourselves. So let's take a look here, shall we? Down at the immature level, you've got people who think they know everything. They're already convinced they know everything that there is to know. Now, how can someone who knows everything learn anything? Of course, they can't. Then you've got the little gravestone, died, won some battles. So, you know, you can lead your whole life like one of these uh, red goats. And yeah, you might win some battles. You might, you know, get a zinger in here or, you know, um, trigger a, a normie or a social justice warrior there. But what have you really achieved? Takes everything personally. Now, this, I've, I've seen far too much of this myself, uh, especially recently. There are many people who do take things personally. You know, if something doesn't go their way or if somebody says something that they feel um, is offensive to them, they take it personally and have a, an emotional reaction. As I was saying earlier, this is a sign that you've been triggered. There are anchors in your mind and, and you're going to have emotional outbursts, taking things personally when there's just no need to do that. There's no benefit from it and there's no need to do it. You've got the personality trait has to be right. Got the cross arms has to be right. We all know people like that. We've all been guilty of it ourselves in the past, having to be right. Nope, I can't lose this one. I'm not wrong about this one. I've committed to this idea or to this um, argument. You know, we've just been in an argument for 10, 20 minutes, three days, a week, whatever it is. I'm right about this one. Not changing my mind, crossing my arms, closing my eyes. That's it. Can't admit responsibility. A lot of people, full-grown adults, cannot admit when they played a part in something going wrong. Of course, again, we're all humans. We're all going to do things that won't work out well. We'll all make mistakes. Some people are able to go, yep, I made a mistake there. Put my hand up. Here's what I've learned. I'll be better for it. Some people are like, no, nah, nah, didn't do that. Had nothing to do with me. Focuses on differences. And you've got a little goat here looking at the birds. The birds just came to chill out. And the goat's saying, no, you can get out of here because it's focusing on the differences rather than looking at the overlap. They're looking at where they're different and they're focusing on that. And many people do that as well. They focus on where they're different to others. That's their main interest. How am I different to this person? What can we argue about? What can we be different about? What can I be better than them about? That's their main concern rather than looking at the overlap. You've got this one over here, blames the world for their problems. Now, this scene on the internet seems to attract these people like shit attracts flies, blaming the world for their problems. So many people who have become disenfranchised, disinterested, and uh, basically, um, you know, morally defeated, blaming the world for everything that's gone wrong. And they're attracted to this scene because they're given some easy answers. Well, whatever's wrong with your life, it's not your fault. They're poisoning your food or they're controlling the media and, and they've 
done everything to you. It hasn't been you at all. It's not your fault that you can't control what you eat or what have you. Or, oh, no, it's, um, it's the Illuminati or it's this or it's that. It's the whole world that's the problem. It's the whole world. That's, it's not you, you know. Uh, people are attracted to that. They want to hear that. They want to hear that it's not their own uh, position or responsibility to fix things for themselves. They want to externalize their problems because then they can not work on them. And many people, they've given up. And once they've given up, they don't want to blame themselves. They want to blame somebody else. They'll blame the world. And it doesn't matter whether they're given the answer of the Illuminati or the New World Order or whatever it is, they'll blame someone. They won't blame themselves. They'll blame the world for their problems. Then you've got this one here. And as these other goats are walking up the hill, he's uh, throwing rocks at them. He's saying, where do you guys think you're going? Uh, what are you trying to do? You're trying to improve yourselves? No, stuff here. Throwing rocks at them. So instead of encouraging those around him to try and improve themselves, he's saying, no, nope, I'm going to throw some rocks at you. He's scorning their efforts. We all know people like that. You know, you try and improve yourself. You try and modify your diet to improve uh, your own body, your own mind, or you try a new exercise regime, or you try to stop going and drinking as much as you used to, or whatever that habit used to be. There's a good chance you run into people who will criticize you for it, mock you for it, won't support you. They won't say, hey, man, that's you're trying to improve yourself. Even if I think the way that you're going about it, that I don't actually think that will improve you. I think maybe you need to eat meat or maybe a bit of drinking is good for you, whatever their story is. They still can't look past that and go, but you're trying to improve yourself. Good for you, man. I'll support it. No, they'll, they'll mock you and scorn you for it. We all know people like that. Then you've got this one down here, is afraid. Now, this is a big problem in our scene because I think a lot of people, they know enough to start trying to make a positive difference to their own lives and to the lives of others. But deep down, they're afraid. They're scared. They're scared that if they say something, something bad will happen to them. Oh, you can't say that. You can't read out Henry Ford's quotes live on the air in a live broadcast. You can't do that, man. You can't speak about the JQ. You can't speak about mass immigration. You can't speak about the fact that there's no such thing as moderate Islam. You can't speak about what's in the tell. You can't do that, man. They're afraid. You know, they might not even uh, express it to others or even to themselves. But deep down, they're afraid, man. They're scared. And why wouldn't they be? You know, they've grown up watching television and they've grown up, if, if lately they've gotten into the conspiracy realm, they've got all these people talking about shills and they'll come and get you and look at all the truth seekers that they knocked off and they put two bullets in that guy and said it was a suicide and they genuinely think that there's someone coming to get them. Well, look, maybe there is, but I feel like at this, at this point, I've done, what, 100 shows now, I've made 200 videos, I've got well over half a million views on my channel I live in a country where supposedly if you speak about the JQ or the hollow hoax, you can be imprisoned. I haven't even gotten a single legitimate death threat yet. Not a single one. No one's knocked on my door. Nothing's happened to me. Some people might say, oh, you're, you're just not big enough. Uh, they'll come for you eventually. What are they going to do exactly? Like, what are they going to do? March me off into court for saying that I don't believe in the hollow hoax. When I'm on the stand, I'll be like, yeah, man, I don't believe in any of World War II. You know what I mean? I don't believe in V2 rockets or any of that nonsense. Like, am I going to prison for that as well? Or is that... Am I, am I, it's just a hollow hoax I have to believe in. Is that the only thing? Is that the only part of World War II that you actually have to believe by law? And if that's the case, I say, let them do that to me. Like, that, that's great. I'll spend a couple of years in the big house and I come out and be like, yeah, I'd spend two years in the big house because I don't believe any of World War II. But this one part, they said I have to by law believe in. So, I mean, what are people so scared of? But I can see why people are scared because they haven't really reconsidered a lot of the beliefs that they were first exposed to when they got into this scene. And in this scene, there's lots of people telling you to be scared. They're coming to get you. They're going to come and get you. Blah, 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 bling, 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 blah. Lots of fraidy cats. This one here sees no flaws. Similar to thinking that you know approve if you think you're already perfect. 
Then you've got obsessed with status. Lots of people like that. They're far more interested in what they think other people think of them than in moral virtues or in genuine knowledge or genuine understanding of the world or genuine self-improvement or their actual path, their actual journey on life. Not really interested in that. They're more interested in how they think other people perceive them. So many people like that. It's uh, it's crazy. By the way, for those who are wondering, I'm not quite 30. I'm 29 years old, so I'm still relatively young. But I'm at that age now where, hey, we've been out of high school for more than 10 years and I've been back in Melbourne lately catching up with a lot of people I used to know. Many good people, many decent people who uh, they work hard and they uh, they don't they don't commit crimes. They're not they're not out to hurt anybody. Uh, many of them very decent people. Many of them, though, haven't really changed much from high school, if we're being honest. Uh, and this little picture is a, a great representation of sort of how and why that is. Next, we've got this one, the old, the old goat, the old goat with the big beard, and he's sitting there in his recliner chair, and he thinks it's about age. This is something that I saw a lot of when I first got into this scene. Old dudes being like, JLB, what do you think you know, man? You're too young. You know, I got into this when I was like 26, 27, which is like half the age of many people who are involved in this scene. And they just can't handle it that a younger person than them could present information, better information in a way that's more compelling than they could. You know, they, Or if there was something that they believed, oh, they read about Tesla 20 years ago. I read a book about Tesla, so now I know everything about Tesla. And I'm like, yeah, well, I just went and found the primary source documentation of what Tesla supposedly said. And this is what he said. He said that there's life on Mars and that that life is more intelligent than us and that it evolved. Like That's what... That's what Tesla actually said. And it's like, no, no, I read a book about Tesla. He was a great man and he invented free energy. And I'm like, okay, old man, believe whatever you want. All right, I'm just presenting the actual primary source uh, information. You can believe whatever you want, old man. But it took me a long time because I did used to have a, a natural inherent respect for age, for the wisdom that should come with age. And when I meet people who are self-reflective and are able to change their minds, I still respect the wisdom that should come with age, especially people who've had children and who can admit that they made mistakes with their children, people who've learned from the experience of having children, I still respect that big time because they know something about the human experience that I don't know. I can put lots of effort into this project or into that project or into this uh, social organization like a sporting club or what have you, and I can know what it's like to feel emotionally invested in the outcomes of others, other people who I'm trying to help and guide and what have you, but to actually have my own little child, I don't know what that's like. So the people who do, I still respect that. But sadly, one of the things that I've learned, uh, not just in my time in this scene, but in life, is that many people aren't actually learning really anything, you know, and that's because they can't admit to mistakes. They can't admit that they're not perfect. They're not self-reflective. Many reasons. We've gone to many of them here as to why they're not learning. But there are many people who age has not made them any wiser. In some cases, it's just made them more sour, more cynical, more jaded. And uh, there's a lot of those people in this scene, believe you me. But, uh, yeah, anyway. And then in the middle here, you've got the big one on his... Um, what do you call that? A soapbox. The big one on his soapbox wearing his uh, fancy clothes, he's telling. He's telling everyone what to believe and uh, he's not interested so much in listening. He's more interested in telling. Now, obviously, I've got my platform, the John the Bond channel, John the Bond Extra. I've got my website, johnthebond.com. I present the information that I found, but if you go and check it for yourself, you'll see the reason why I present it or what the, the stuff that I present is based on information that oftentimes I've got from others, primary source information. I've read other people's books. I've gone and checked scientific studies or I've gone and looked at the history of things and I present to you what I've found and I'm always happy to change my mind, always happy. In fact, if you can help me change my mind, you've done me a big favor because if I'm wrong about something and you come and show me why I'm wrong, you've helped me big time. 
Now, part of the con being a content producer means that you're producing something. Say my Hillary video yesterday, that's a 10-minute video. I put it out there. That's kind of like telling, isn't it? But someone comes and says to me, oh, no, man, blah, blah, blah. Here's why you're wrong. Dude, give me the evidence and I'll go and check it out. And you'll be doing us both a favor. So uh, there are some people, though, all they'll do is tell. They will not listen. They, I mean, me, I listen to podcasts even today. You know, I set this live show and then I went and spent a couple of hours down at the park doing my regular stretches and push-ups and pull-ups and trying to be healthy, what have you. Listening to podcasts. That's what I do. I listen to way more podcasts than I produce. Some people, though, all they're interested in doing is telling others what to believe. And in the middle of all of this, you've got this little uh, white goat, one of those intermediate goats. He's asking questions and this guy is just telling. People are ready to start maturing which takes us to just double check that the show is uh, coming through. About 17 people watching live, that's the way. These shows, you never know what kind of audience you're gonna get. There's probably a thousand live shows right now as we speak. So um, this one, well, I'll leave it up there on delay for others to check out. Who knows how many will see it, but uh, I get just as much out of doing their shows for others as people get from watching them because you know it forces me to put together a, a slideshow of images and then to talk about them and. Sometimes by expressing things, you have to get your mind working in a way that can be beneficial and what have you. So I've enjoyed this so far. This one image is taking a lot longer than I thought, but it's uh, it's even better than I remember. So I'm going to keep going. We're up to all these goats in the middle who want to climb up to that top level. Let's take a look through them. We've got one that scorns indolence. And uh, he's sort of sick of these people at the bottom level who just aren't trying to improve themselves. And I think this can be one of the things that prompts people to make genuine concerted effort to improve themselves is they just get sick of the people around them who just don't seem to be going anywhere. And they realize, hold on, man, these guys, these guys aren't going anywhere. I want to go somewhere. And they start moving. Then you've got this one. He's scared. Pardon me. He's scared, but he's doing it anyway. So this is in contrast to the one that's scared and hides. This one, he's scared, but he's going to do it anyway. And if I can just give one example from my own experience in this scene, when I first started doing the Australian Roundtable podcast two years ago now, more than two years ago, I think it was September 2014, we did our first show. Back then, I still believed you can't talk about the Holocaust, you can't talk about the JQ. You've got to be very careful. You've got to be very subtle. You have to use euphemisms, the rest of it, and uh, you're taking a risk. But I thought, you know what, I've got to say something. I mean, this is this is crazy. I have to say something. And whatever happens, happens. I'll just deal with it. Now I know you can say whatever you want, you know, as long as you're not actually attacking people or being violent or threatening people or whatever, which obviously I never do. So long as you're just basing your opinions on facts, it looks to me like you're going to be perfectly fine. But I didn't know that two years ago. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm so glad that I did. Then you've got this one who uh, he says, or this one says, wants to fix them. And again, this is in contrast to the red one who thinks he's, uh, he's always right uh, and sees no flaws. This one wants to fix them. So once you recognize that you've got flaws, it's one thing to recognize them. Are you going to work on them? Some people do. And that's a sign of maturity saying, I'm going to work. I haven't just recognized that I'm a flawed person because we're all flawed. I'm going to work on my flaws. And that's a big sign of wanting to reach maturity. This one here is obsessed with questioning. And you can see that the artist has drawn them sort of halfway up, halfway down going sideways because you I have I can't say that you will but I certainly have encountered people in this scene and not just in this scene but in in the real world but on, on, a, on a similar nature obsessed with questioning but not with really finding the answers you know they'll constantly say yeah but what about this and what about that and 
what about that? And then there's obviously nothing wrong with asking questions. However, if you ask questions without genuinely seeking the answers, then firstly, you're not really being skeptical because skepticism, insofar as I define it, involves not only asking the questions, but seeking out the answers, seeking out the evidence that will give you a good answer. Some people, they reach the level of asking questions and maybe they feel profound for doing so or they feel as though that that is the, that is the essence of being mature is asking questions, but they never go further than that. I have met people like that in real life. They're just obsessed with questioning, not questioning that can then lead to trying to find answers or trying to find compelling arguments, just questioning. Then we've got this one who uh, says, oh, it says here that he knows that it isn't. So this one thinks it's all about age, the red one. The white one knows that it isn't. He's saying, well, Grandpa, if you want to sit there and think that just because you're old, you know everything, that's fine. But uh, I'm young and I'm looking for answers. I'm going to move up in this world. And then you've got this one here that's built for climbing. And this is something I don't plan to get into too much detail today, but it does seem to me that, and I use the word built there, we use the word uh, built or designed or purpose put here for these different sort of uh, ways of phrasing it or terming it. Some people do seem, I don't use the word destined, but some people do seem to be pre, oh, there's, no, there's no way to put this without misrepresenting what I'm trying to say, but some people seem more naturally adept at and meant for improving themselves and becoming better versions of themselves than others. And whether that goes right back to their time in the womb, whether it goes to genetics, conditioning once they got out of the womb, through school, whatever it is that makes us who we are, some people do seem to be stuck down at this level. And there's uh, no point pandering to them. The problem is that you never know which one is this little white one in the middle. So if you're one of these ones in the middle, uh, in the intermediate area, who are trying to improve themselves, you want to help the ones who are down here who want to come with you. It turns out, though, there's, a, there's not really that many. So that's a thing that I've learned, and I could only learn this the hard way. You can find out things that you think are useful and important, try and share them with others, but not really a wise strategy to waste too much time doing that because there aren't many down here who want to leave that area. Many of them, in one way or another, they're either meant to be there or they're going to stay there because they can't be bothered or whatever it is, they're staying there. And uh, some others, though, they seem like they're meant to make their way up. And then you get to the top level, which is really what all of us should be aiming to get to, not just in this scene, but with our lives. You would think we want to mature, we want to improve ourselves. And by the end of this, when the music stops, feel as though we've reached a better place. Um, and not merely to say that we got there, but because once, once we start to improve certain things about us, our lives will be better as a result. Let's go through some examples. We've got this one here who wants to help. You've got the uh, the guy who's reached the top level and he's putting his hand down. He wants to help. I think this is part of maturity is wanting to help. Uh, I think you do have to understand that some people you can't, but it's always this aspect of, well, I'm up here. Let me, here's what I found. Let me show you what I found. You know, let me, th this is something I'm pretty confident about. Let me put it in front of you and hopefully this will help you. Let me give you my hand. That's what this green goat is doing. This one here respects others' intelligence and uh, he's sitting there. And uh, he's in deep contemplation and reflection. He respects others' intelligence. And there are, of course, many intelligent people out there. We're all on our own paths and we've all got different interests and we're all at different stages of either programming or deprogramming or what have you. And uh, it's a rather rich tapestry, isn't it? But there are many intelligent people out there. Even if uh, sometimes we get a bit cynical or jaded and we start to understand that 
it's a very tiny percentage of people who, after all of the conditioning that's been done to us, uh, have made it out the other side with a functioning brain. They're still out there. There are some out there. You know, I've got uh, an audience of, what, a few hundred people who check out my stuff. Within that audience of a few hundred, I know there's at least a couple dozen. They're still intelligent people. You know, we might not agree on all things. In fact, we definitely disagree. There's many things that come up. You know, people will agree with me on this, 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 this. I release a video. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, JLB, why, you know, disagreements, that's fine. But respecting the intelligence of people to say, well, that person, uh, for all of their flaws or for any of the things that I think they're wrong about this topic or that opinion, uh, I respect the fact that they've still got a functioning brain. And, uh, and I think you need that too. I think if you get to the stage where you think, man, there's no one out there who can actually think for themselves, not a good place to be. And so uh, part of maturity is saying I respect other people's intelligence, even when I think I'm right and they're wrong or what have you. There are some intelligent people out there and thank God for that. This one here, obsessed with facts. I love this one. They've got one here with a notepad and part of maturity is being obsessed with facts. So they've got this one in contrast to the one that's obsessed with questioning. So you can spend all the time you like questioning things, but if you're not compiling or collating uh, facts to then base your opinions off, well, what's the point? This one here is obsessed with facts. And I don't want to use the word obsession, but I like to think that I put a heavy emphasis on objective information, empirical data, things that anyone can double check for themselves. So if I give you my opinion, my opinion is this, and it's based on these facts. You might disagree with my opinion, but the important part is the facts. Have I got the facts right? And once we've established what the facts are, then we can uh, put together useful opinions, hopefully. But you need to have the facts first. And most people in this scene do zero research into primary source evidence. A classic example, and I've touched on it already, is Nikola Tesla. Many will, people will tell you that Tesla did this and Tesla did that and he blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, cool. When did Tesla say that? Like, is there a journal? Did he write a journal entry where he talked about that? Or is it, have you got uh, someone else from that time period who wrote about it in their own journal? Have we got anything close to primary or even, even good secondary information? The answer is, of course, no. They saw it on the History Channel. They saw it on a YouTube video. They read it in a book by David Hatcher Childress or, you know, the guy who writes about Sasquatch and Bigfoot and this kind of nonsense. They haven't actually gone to the primary source evidence because they don't even know the difference between primary source evidence, secondary, tertiary. They don't understand what empirical data is. They don't really know that. They're very uh, oblivious to all of this. And even when someone comes along and says, hey, guys, I know that you weren't taught at school or uni. What, what is primary source evidence? What is real research? What is the historical method? I know you weren't taught that, but let me show you. And let me show you why it's so useful and how we can use it. Some people are like, hey, that's, hey that, that makes sense. I'm going to adopt that. Uh, very tiny minority of people who will do that. The majority will say, well, no, 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 no. Your, your conclusion is different to mine. My conclusion is Tesla free energy. Your conclusion is different. So your method is wrong. You're wrong. You might even be a paid chill. They're hopeless. They belong down in this area down here. Many people though, and I'm one of them, we, uh, we do put the facts first and that's the way it should be. It's a sign of maturity. So this one up here knows nothing. Now this is kind of like that. Was it Plato or Socrates, one of these characters of ancient history who you know, the only thing that I know is that I know nothing. It's kind of a rhetorical, sort of empty rhetoric if you ask me, but there is this element of saying, you know what, the more research I do, the more I look into things, the more I reconsider my opinions, the more I realize how little I actually know. Know in the sense of I'm very certain of, 100% certain of, uh, because what happens is when we're born, we go, soon after we're born, we go through uh, playgroup or kindergarten, we go through school. By the time we reach 18, we've been in um, state-based education for 
most of our lives. We don't remember anything other than that. And we think we know a lot of things. And then if we start genuinely deprogramming, before long, we, uh, we come to realize, actually, I didn't know that at all. I don't really know uh, what happened 2,000 years ago. I don't really know how, uh, you know, I don't want to get to some of those uh, more abstract concepts yet, but if you check out John LeBond, check out the hoax hierarchy, you'll get a better idea. But my point is, you do your own deprogramming, you quickly realize, and by quickly, I mean, I've been here for a couple of years now and it's really starting to hit home now, just how little you know. Then you've got this uh, grave, this tombstone. Again, it's in contrast to the one below it. Again, that uh, immature one says, died, won some battles. The mature one says, died happy, won the war. Of course, this contrast between winning battles and winning the war. You might have an argument with somebody at a party or at a family event or at a social um, gathering or what have you. You might win the battle. You might say something that really embarrasses them or what have you. Uh, great. What have you really achieved? Whereas if you're someone who's constructive, it might be that you lead a more happy, wholesome uh, life. It might be that you lead a more rewarding life when you initiate or get used to the habit of some of these traits that are associated with maturity. It might be that uh, occasionally you'll lose a battle or walk away from a battle, but uh, it might be that you lead a better life overall, a happier life overall. And it's so important to remember, and we'll talk more about this later, there are people who want us to doubt and to disbelieve in the notion that there is objective truth, that there is objective good, that there is such thing as the good life. Because once you let go of those notions, and you can call them faiths if you like, but once you let go of those notions or faiths that there is objective truth and that there is objective good, once you let go of that, you are a lamb to the slaughter of whoever is running the establishment whoever's running the slaughterhouse, whoever's running the farm, once you let go of the idea that there is good and there is truth, uh, it's all downhill from there, isn't it? So we'll move on. We've got this one here, grateful. Grateful for what he's got. You've got the little uh, goat watering plants and uh, he's, he's, ha <laughs> he's happy just to have the plants. He's, uh, he's not sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I had more and um, you know, I'm so upset with everything. He's sitting there going, look at how beautiful this tree is and look how beautiful that tree is. And uh, he's happy for it because no matter how bad the world is in so many ways, and many of you know just how bad things are and they're getting worse. Some of you do. Some of you think you know how bad things are, but you're oblivious and maybe you're better that way. But some of you have a good idea of just how bad things are and how they are getting worse. That is the case. I agree with you about that. But it doesn't mean there's no goodness in the world. There is still nature. There are still trees. There are still flowers. There are still parks, beautiful things. You know, go to a park, take your shoes off, get your feet onto the grass, look up at the sky, get some sun, stretch your body, feel good. It's a beautiful thing that we can all still do or most of us can still do and it's very simple. Then you've got other things as well, like even technology. I mean, they use the internet now. It's Social media is, uh, for the most part, making people very, very stupid, very dumb, very docile, very easily controlled, uh, very homogenous in so many ways. Sure, not good things. But at the same time, I'm broadcasting to you now live with zero latency, uh, with pretty good fidelity, a nice blue Yeti microphone and... Um, you know, I'm giving you images as I speak and it's free. I don't have to pay YouTube anything. You know what I mean? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? You know, so, so easy to focus on what's bad, but is that really good for us? Is that a mature outlook or is it worth always contemplating uh, what's good in our lives as well? And uh, that's one area where I, I do still feel I've got a lot more work to do. It is very easy to become, um, you know, focused on the negative, especially doing the kind of work that I do, but I am trying to uh, appreciate what's out there more and, um, 
you know, when I do do that, when I get out to the park and I just get my feet on the ground and uh, look up at the sun, uh, it's amazing what an effect it has on me. I should be doing it a lot more, you know, so that's one area I have a lot more work to do, but already I'm feeling better for what I've done so far. This one here, isn't afraid to fail. They've got to go to, on a unicycle, not afraid to fail. This is a big one, especially in our scene. I've spoken to a lot of people, smart people. They know a lot of stuff that's worth sharing with others and they've got their own way of presenting it and that could be very useful if they would. But they say to me that they, you know, I've actually had people say this in, in about as many words. They're afraid that they put something out there that it, they might change their mind later or that it might not be received very well. Ultimately, they're afraid of failing. And I think this is one of those things where uh, if, if, I have, if I have the great fortune of having my own children, they're going to be taught from a young age, you're riding without the uh, training wheels, maybe before you think you're ready. You're jumping in the deep end, maybe before you think you're ready. And uh, we're going to get you playing uh, cricket against maybe some of the, the faster, older boys, maybe before you think you're ready. And uh, you know what? If you fall off your bike, you'll be fine. You know what I mean? If you, if you struggle to swim at first, well, your dad's here. You'll be fine. The fast bowlers get you out. It doesn't matter. It's just cricket. Who cares? Give it a go. I was lucky enough to have that to a large extent when I was younger. A lot of the people I mix with, maybe they didn't have that. Maybe they weren't encouraged to just do things. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? You know, that maybe they, they didn't have that growing up. I don't know. But for me, it's like, yeah, I'll give something a try. If it works, fantastic. If it doesn't work, oh, well, I tried. Hopefully, I learned. You know, <laughs> what's the big deal? So many people I know, they, uh, they, they really are afraid of failing. And um, it's, it's hard for me to relate to that. You know, I'm, I'm curious to know those people who feel that way. I'm curious to know, like, do you know when you first felt this way about being afraid of failing? Like, do you remember when it first started? I'd be very curious to know. Surely it have to be early childhood. Maybe you tried something that didn't work and you got teased for it or maybe someone, uh, oh, who knows, man. But I think that'd have to go back to their childhood. Uh, whereas with me, I've been, I've been very fortunate. I think um, I was able to try things and if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. Life goes on. And I think that's part of being mature is you have to be ready to, to be afraid to fail. Uh, how is he going to learn? You know, like you're not always going to get everything right. This one here, this uh, green goat here, knows his limits and knows that he's often wrong. Big part of maturity, isn't it? You know, a man's got to know his limitations and he's got to know what he is capable of. Be afraid to fail, to try things that might work or not, might not work. You've also got to know that there are some things that might not be within your grasp at this point in time. You might be a little bit too much for you just at this point in time or or maybe altogether none of us is going to be perfect or the best at everything and i think these two go hand in hand if you're someone who does continually try things whether they work or they don't work you'll also get to better know your limits and um, yeah a big part of maturity and another thing that i think that you can learn from sport as well i mean i live in australia where cricket is a very popular sport a big part of being a successful cricketer is knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at and trying to stick to that main thing at least in games in training sure try and improve everything else, become game time. You've got to know what works for you and try and stick to it. And really, that's the same with most sports, most team sports especially. You'll know where you fit into the picture. And, um, and you know, there are some things that may be a bit beyond you, at least at this point in time, big part of maturity. And then this one here in the middle uh, listens, listens to others. And uh, as I said earlier, this is one thing that I've been very fortunate with in my time in this scene. I've found a bunch of different podcasters and content producers where even though sometimes I might disagree with them or not even really so much. I'm happy to listen to what they have to say because they'll prove time and again there's something that they've heard that I haven't heard of or there's something I know that I don't know. And even this alt-right thing, I mean, I was talking about the JQ and the Hollow Hoax years, I mean, two years ago now. But um, on the alt-right, on this um, 4chan, 8chan stuff, I've learned tons of things that I didn't already know. You know what I mean? Tons of things. I've been able to download 
tons of PDFs or tons of images or I've seen someone post a comment about a certain person. I'm like, I've never heard of that person. Who's that person? Oh, holy crap. Didn't know about that person. That that makes perfect sense based on everything else I knew, but I didn't know about that person. And so I'm constantly learning. There's plenty of people to learn from and to listen to if you're willing to do so. And I've been lucky because I like to walk or if I've got somewhere to be that I can't walk to, I'll catch public transport. This gives me time to listen to podcasts. I'm constantly listening to other people, including people I don't even like or agree with. But every now and then they'll say something, bang, that was very useful for me. Then we've got this one here, almost finished. We've got this one here, assumes as little as possible. Uh, very good uh, practice to be into, assume as little as we can. So many people are, just assume so many things, you know. And I think that goes hand in hand with belief. So many people believe so many things. You know, and it's kind of the same thing, an assumption or a belief that's not based on evidence. It's almost like semantics. It's the same thing, really, isn't it? If it's something that's not based on evidence, not based on empirical or objective evidence, it is, to an extent, an assumption or a belief, isn't it? Makes sense to me to try and uh, remove as many of those assumptions or beliefs as we can. And then this one here, I think this is the, the final one, focuses on having friends. And you've got the little goat there, and he's talking to the bird, and they're happy. And they're totally different. The bird and the goat, they're totally different creatures. And both of them has their own reason for feeling superior to the other. The bird has wings and can fly and do whatever it wants, go wherever it wants to go. And the goat is much larger and stronger and uh, has every right to feel like he's better off for being a, a goat because he's, uh, he's so much stronger than the, than the bird, you know. But they're getting along together. They're not the same. They don't have to argue with each other or attack each other. But they can get along. And this is something that I'm still working on. This is an area where I've got a lot of work to do is to relate to the people in, in my world who are very different to me. You know, I'm so different to a lot of people who growing up with, I cared about them, they cared about me. No reason why that has to stop. And I think I've done a lot better than many people in this realm or in this scene in terms of trying not to alienate people with uh, what are to them crazy out there thoughts. Um, you know, trying to still focus on what we have in common, even if it's as simple as, you know, childhood memories or laughs about things that happened at, you know, recess or lunch years ago. It's still special. You know, it's still a special thing. It's part of your life. It's part of a journey who you are. So I've got a lot of work to do in that, in that regard. And uh, the last sort of six weeks or two months back in Melbourne has brought that into sharp focus. But at the same time, I won't be too down on myself because I think given, given what's transpired over the last couple of years and what I've uh, come to understand and come to know, I could have easily gone down the path that many people in this scene go down, which is to turn people away by trying to convince them to believe things. And that um, I haven't done that. You know, I haven't, <laughs> of all the beliefs that I have, or more importantly, the beliefs I no longer have, I haven't tried to convince other people to them, or at least I've avoided that uh, quite strongly. Because I learned at a young age, it's not a very, um, not a very smart strategy. So, uh, so yeah, I've still got a lot of work to do, as you can tell. A lot of these things, uh, I don't feel I'm quite there yet, but I'm working on it. And I would like to think that a lot of my audience they're doing the same thing. They're, they're trying to improve who they are. Now, I've been here long enough to know most people who watch my stuff, most people listen to my stuff, they're not like me. They're not really trying to improve themselves. This is just entertainment. And for a while there, that really got me down. But now, I don't really worry about that so much. It's like, well, if you release this stuff publicly, anyone can see it. There's going to be many different people who check this stuff out. If the majority of people have been heavily negatively impacted by school and by other uh, conditioning processes, then it's only natural that the majority of my audience are going to still be just like that. They're going to be CNN lemmings or Fox News lemmings. They just might not watch Fox or CNN anymore, but they're still the same, they're still the same people, pardon me. But um, there are people out there who I think uh, are on the same path as me. I like to think that. And uh, that's one of the things that keeps me motivated to keep doing this work. So that was a very long one. That, that took 
about 10 times longer than I had budgeted for, but uh, I'm glad I went through that one. And that's called the Maturity Climb. And the, uh, the credits there go to viruscomics.com. That's viruscomics with an X.com. So uh, I'll have to go and check out their site, see if they've got some more good work as well. But this, this one thing I think is absolutely terrific. I'll be interested to get other people's opinions uh, maybe later in the show when I check the live audience. Speaking of which, better make sure they're still there. And they are got about 20 people watching. And uh, there's Muzz Buzz. My old mate Muzz Buzz is still there. He, uh, he's, he's down here in this, in his, in this group. Um, might be a nice guy, but he's, yeah, he's, he's going nowhere, sadly. But anyway, move on. Now, let's get into the real nitty-gritty, the fun stuff. And before we do, I'll just have a glass of water because I'm struggling a bit here. I'm still upset with that rendition of Star Spangled Banner. I thought I'd do a lot better than that, but I oh, might give it another go at the end of the show. See how we go. Mm, beautiful fluoride water. I don't have a filter here. You know, up in Brisbane, I had my own filter. Cost me a, a little bit of money. And the water tasted so much better. They claim they got rid of the fluoride. Did it really? I don't know. Even just a placebo benefit of thinking, well, it's meant to. You know, maybe that would be good for me. But the water definitely tasted better. Drinking this stuff from the tap. Boy, oh boy, not good. Now, uh, this image here, I love this one. The, uh, the pixelation isn't so good, but you can see it. It's a man on his knees, sort of looking up to his uh, interlocutor, into whoever it is who's, um, you know, come to get him. He says, you can take my daughter and my wife. Please just don't racist. And I don't know how bad it is in your country, but in Australia, yeah, people my age, um, and even sort of given another 10 years, even people into their 30s, this is, how they, this is how people are. It's like they do not want to be called racist. They're scared of being called a racist, like on a very fundamental level don't want to be seen as racist. It's that, no, that's horrible. I can't be racist, you know, because they were abused as children. They were psychologically abused as children into thinking that if they had their natural instincts, which is to see and understand and appreciate that we're different, that uh, different ethnicities or races are, of course, different. Of course they are. If they were to recognize that or to make decisions with their life or their social interactions based on this obvious truth that made them a bad person, an evil person, a very, very naughty boy, psychologically abused and uh, for many people it stays with them right throughout their life they cannot handle the idea of being called a racist and obviously this is being a little bit uh, this particular image is exaggerating a little bit you can take my wife and my daughter no one's coming to take anyone's wife or daughter but it is this similar idea of you know how important are, is your family to you if there are people doing bad things to your family either directly or indirectly intentionally or unintentionally how much will you let them do that uh, for fear of being called a racist. And at what point do you stand up and say, you know what, I am a man. And part of being a man is protecting those who aren't really meant to protect themselves or aren't ready to protect themselves. And if that means saying things that get me called a racist, you know what, I'm going to do it because that's part of being a man, you know. And uh, the, with the alt-right, who I have criticized, I do criticize in those poll boards, one thing I'll give them credit for is there's a lot of people there they don't care if you call them a racist. They wear it with a badge of honor, which any sane, honest man should. Oh, yeah, you want to call me a racist? Sure. I mean, because the word racist just means that I'm willing to say that there's a difference between me and, and this other group of people, right? That makes me a racist? Yeah, of course I'm a racist. I'm not a fucking moron. Yeah, no problems. And, uh, yeah, I like that one. Now, this one, I've used this one a few times, and I will keep using this one because... Look, like I said, the, the path of deprogramming involves many steps, okay? And there's no one thing that will suddenly bump somebody into 
sanity or or thinking for themselves. But there are one or two powerful red pills, if you like that. For me, at least, maybe I'm being biased because of my own experiences, should be enough to make them really sort of take a step back and reconsider what they think about the world and what they've been told. This is from Rabbi Sephardi, chief rabbi of Israel, Ovadia Yosef. And he says, and this is a real quote, by the way, this one is given as being from the Times of Israel. I myself might have seen it in the Times of Israel. I might have seen it in Haaretz or the uh, Jewish Daily Forward or whatever, but I saw it in an outlet that has no reason to make this up. And if you check this for yourself, you'll see that they fully admit that he said this. This is no conspiracy theory. Uh, yeah, Ovadia Yosef says in 2010, quote, the sole purpose of non-Jews is to serve Jews. They will work, they will plow, they will reap. We will sit like an effendi and eat. That is why Gentiles were created, end quote. And of course, by Gentiles, they mean you and me and uh, most people who will watch or listen to this presentation. Uh, yeah, that's their sole purpose on earth is to serve the Jews. Hmm. It's what you might call Jewish supremacism. Now, of course, we all know because we all went to school and we all watch Hollywood that, no, of course, it's the Jews who were subjugated and it's everyone else who thinks that, you know, it was Hitler who thought the Jews would put here, you know, they're the, they're, the, they're the victims and we're the bad guys or, you know, something like that. We all know that, right? Until we look at their own words because this is Ovadia Yosef, Sephardi chief rabbi of Israel now. He's, he's since uh, passed away. He's now deceased. But he did say this and he was a very important person. He was no fringe figure. He was no random rabbi. He was a very powerful, uh, well-known figure in, uh, in Judaism in Israel, both, um, I guess, religiously and politically. And it says there that uh, when he died in 2013, 800,000, that's 800,000, the best part of a million Israelis attended his funeral, the largest in Israel's history. The Times of Israel called Yosef a giant of Jewish thought. And they've given their citation as the Times of Israel October 7, 2013. So you've got a very powerful, influential figure of Judaism within Israel, the Sephardi chief rabbi, no less. And he says that the sole purpose of non-Jewish people, the reason they were put here by God, presumably, was to serve Jewish people because they, and by they I mean we, me, I will work, I will plow, and I will reap while he and his Jewish friends sit like effendis or kings and eat. That's why they were created. Hmm. Very interesting, isn't it? I think everybody in this scene and in this realm should know the name Ovadia Yosef off by heart and uh, ideally know this quote, either, either not, maybe not verbatim, but uh, that'd be ideal, but even just the, the basics of it. Oh, did you know there was a guy called Ovadia Yosef? chief rabbi of Israel, just just an important person of, of Israel, an important rabbi is all you need to know. He openly said that in his opinion, and of course it's not just his opinion, the non-Jews are subordinate to the Jews. They were put here to serve the Jews. Uh, many of them even use the term goyim, cattle. We're here to serve them. Very important stuff that we should all know. And again, to their credit, on the alt-right, many people seem to know this or be aware of this to one degree or another. Moving on then. Here we've got the Jewish media. This is a piece of artwork that says Jewish media. And you've got your little Star of David and uh, what look like somewhat demonic characters. 
and it says witchcraft. You've got Hollywood there, Jewish media, witchcraft. Now, you think about what television is, okay, or even, even just the broadcasting that I'm doing right now. This might only have 10, 15, 20 live listeners right now, might reach a total audience of a few hundred people, right? But even that's kind of magic that I can sit here in front of my, I'm not sitting, I'm standing, I can stand here in front of my Blue Yeti microphone and my laptop and get my opinions out to dozens, maybe hundreds of people in one go. That's, uh, that's kind of magic in a way, but it's nothing compared to controlling the mainstream media, which is, of course, what the usual suspects do, the usual star of David suspects. That's, of course, what they do. And all you need to do is find out who are the major media companies who own all the companies below them. There's about six. And who controls those companies? And it turns out they are all Jewish. They all self-identify as Jewish. What an amazing coincidence that is. And so you've got these major media empires who are broadcasting ideas and thoughts and information to people all over the world instantaneously, simultaneously, 24-7, all kinds of degenerate filth promoting cultural Marxism and so many things that I might get into later in the show. They're promoting all of that and they're affecting people's minds. They're affecting, as we discussed at the start of the show, people's reality. I'll give you an example. They can release a film, uh, what was that one that starred Edward Norton, uh, American History X, and they can convince everyone that a young man who starts to learn about what we call the JQ and about things that Henry Ford said, as that quote had at the start of the show, the people who get into that kind of thing and start learning about it and thinking it's important, what do you know? They start joining gangs, becoming violent, robbing stores, killing men, uh, defenseless men on the ground, punching their sister or their mum causing problems, just being complete. That's what they do, you see. That's what they do. If, if people start talking about the Jews, they just go right off the rails and cause all kinds of damage. It's, uh, they're very violent people. They're bad people. You wouldn't want to be like them. And uh, they can make that film and it gets broadcast to people. I first saw that film when I was uh, very young. I don't know how old I was at the time. I might have been, I don't know, 10, 12, 14, 15, uh, still in my formative years when I'd never been exposed to the kind of thoughts that, Chief uh, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef had to share. I'd never been exposed to the works of people like Henry Ford, the literature that he was distributing at the time. Never exposed to any of that. And uh, and yeah, those images are being put into my mind. I've got a television in my room and I'm watching this stuff and these images are going into my mind. Now, I might know that it's a movie and I might know that Edward Norton is just an actor, but there are ideas and concepts that are being beamed into my head that I am essentially defenseless to, that, my friends, is a form of magic. And who controls that magic? Well, you guys all know the answer. And if you don't, just go look up Joel Stein of the LA Times. Just go and look it up. Joel Stein, LA Times, who controls the media? That might even be the title of his piece of work, actually, who controls the media. And this is from only a few years ago. And a man who identifies as Jewish, a fairly prominent writer in the uh, in the mainstream press. He might have even been the man who interviewed uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, funnily enough, uh, earlier in the year when he was getting prominence uh, through the mainstream press. Uh, yeah, Joel Stein, he says, who controls the media? Well, of course it's us dummies. Like, that's just silly. You know, why would you even try and deny that? So they openly brag about, and why wouldn't they, by the way? I mean, credit to them. This small little group of people managed to control the media that controls so many people's minds. That's a pretty amazing effort. I mean, uh, you got to give them credit, you know. For me, there's no, um, it's not really a matter of animosity or uh, or anything like that. It's more like, well, these are the facts. The facts are the facts. The truth is the truth. This is stuff that people should know. It has an important bearing on how we understand the world and how it works. That's why I talk about it. But 
in a way, I kind of think to myself, man, why can't the Gentiles, why can't, say, the white peoples of the world, why can't we work together and help one another become better people and to better control the resources that we need for the benefit of our people? Why can't we do that? You know, these these guys are able to do that. You've got to give them credit for that at least. You know, and if, if, you, uh, if you meet Jewish people, and I'm sure many of you have, you might find that uh, many of them are just regular, they just seem like regular people. You know what I mean? They're just regular people. They, um, it's not like they spend their whole days plotting to control the world. Uh, very few of them do seem to be at the top of this control. And yet, despite that, despite not many of them not dedicating their lives to it, they, um, they still, as a collective, uh, they, they control an awful lot, don't they? In Australia, I think all five of the wealthiest families in Australia, and this is as reported by the mainstream press, all Jewish. And that's not by accident, not by coincidence. It's because they're helping one another. You see, how many of us actually help one another? We're far more likely to tear one another down. I mean, I'm not checking the live chat right now. You can bet that there's fools in there trying to tear me down right now. You can guarantee it. They just can't help themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like they are very easily triggered. They're at that lower rung of maturity. They'll sooner attack me than look for the overlaps, look for the common interest and try and help one another. That's just how many of us seem to be. Now you can come back with a very fair uh, counter, which is that, yeah, but we, they've done this to us. They've you know, we've been raised in schools. And as I said with that film, American History X, one example of many that train us to hate ourselves. And that is certainly true. I completely agree with you about that. But when are we going to overcome that as individuals and as a group? You know, when are we as individuals, each one of us now, myself and everybody listening to this live or on delay, when are we going to say, you know what? It's time for me to be a better person and try and help people around me. Not try and take, but try and give because giving is the right thing to do because I believe in something bigger. When are we going to do that? Important question. Let's move on to the next slide then, shall we? This is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets important. This is where we get back on topic of the 2016 election. And here we've got an article or a little image entitled Trump, the Golden Goy. Hmm. Let's have a look at some of these names. Alan Weiselberg, Phil Ruffin, George Ross, Stuart Ra, Felix Sater, I guess whole bunch of names. I'm familiar with some of them, not familiar with others. I have double-checked a number of these names and they check out. They are all usual suspects and they all seem to be related to old Trump in one way or another, either as part of his staff, one of his major supporters, family members. Uh, one of them that I was looking into earlier was the one who married his daughter because, uh, of course, Trump's daughter married into uh, the Jewish faith. So all around him, Trump has these sorts of people all around him. And yet there are many people on the alt-right who are convinced that uh, old mate Trumpy is the answer to the J problem, which to me is every bit as hypocritical and contradictory as that straitjacket man that we saw earlier in the show. How can you know so many things about the JQ, Jewish control of the media, of money? How can you know about the holohoax? How can you know about all of these? How can you know about Robert Ovadia Yosef? How can you know about what's written about us in the Talmud? How can you know about all of that and think that this guy, with all of these people around him, with his daughter married uh, into the Jewish faith, how can you think that he is in any way on your side or part of the solution? How can you possibly think that? Well, you can think that the exact same way that the social justice warriors simultaneously believe that race is a social construct, but that white people oppress other people. You know, it's a double think. Humans have this incredible capacity for doublethink, especially when we're conditioned a certain way. And the 4chan and 8chan poll boards 
Sure, there are many independent thinkers there, many people who present good information in, uh, in easy-to-receive ways, good memes, excellent. Make them different to any other echo chamber or conditioning system or you know, social organisation or structure that impacts us. So just as someone can go to school and be convinced by their teacher and by the social effects of the classroom or believing stuff to believe you know, contradictory things, to, to believe in double think, to end their education, especially if they went to a, to a liberal arts college or what have you, believing all kinds of nonsense because that's what they've been surrounded by. Well, if you're surrounded by a poll, by a four, uh, 4chan poll or 8chan poll, if you're surrounded by that, of course it's possible that you'll come out simultaneously believing that uh, the JQ is an important thing that we should all be aware of and believing that this guy is our friend. Uh, it's very easy to come out believing both. But you have to understand human psychology. You especially have to understand crowd psychology. You have to understand the way that humans work, the way our minds work, what programming is, what deprogramming is, what conditioning is. You have to understand all of these things to understand how social justice warriors end up the way that they are and how 8chan and 4chan and poll people end up the way that they are, how um, the alt-right end up the way they are. Now, bear in mind, of course, not everyone in the alt-right uh, believes this nonsense. Not every one of them supports Trump. And like this image that I've got here, I got this from one of the poll boards. So there are plenty of people there who are very wise to these lies. They're hip to it all. They're sweet. There are many people there who get what's going on. And how many, how many do get what's going on? How many don't? How many of the people who seem like they don't are there for nefarious reasons, misleading others? Who knows? I have no idea. It could be that on the poll boards, say you've got a few thousand regular visitors and a few hundred really loyal contributors. Let's just say for argument's sake, there's about a thousand regular contributors taking part in most of the threads, visiting most days of the week, posting posts, even contributing these sorts of uh, images. Let's say for argument's sake, that's a thousand people. And I know many of you will say, oh no, it's way more than that, it's a million. It's, you know, yeah, okay, I, I can see why you would believe that. The things that I deal with, many people think that 20,000 views on a YouTube uh, video means that there's 20,000 uh, people who agree with them. I can see why they want to think that, but it doesn't really work that way in reality, which is what I'm interested in here. I think the numbers are much, much lower, not just on YouTube, but the Chan boards and all the rest of it. The number of people that are actively involved in all of this, I think, is much lower than many of us want to believe and certainly lower than many of us do believe. But for the sake of argument, just so we can look at proportions here, suppose there's a thousand people on the, on the poll boards combined who are actively participating, creating memes, posting regularly, etc. How many of them are wise to this aspect of what's going on and of what just happened today? And uh, how many are oblivious to it and actually think that Trump is their friend? What, what proportions are we dealing with? I would, if, if there was some way to determine this objectively, to know for a fact, I would believe anything from 5% of people on poll are wise to this right through to 80 or 90%. It's so hard to gauge, especially when there may be some people there who aren't there for the same reasons as others. Very hard to determine and I don't know. So even just by making this video today, even if one poll regular sees it and by hearing me say what I have to say, reconsider their own opinions for better or for worse, rightly or wrongly, having listened to me. And they say, you know what? Maybe maybe this Trump thing isn't isn't the great news that I thought it was. Then I feel like I've kind of done my part. In fact, I feel just by doing this today, presenting this the way that I have today, I've kind of done my part, added my piece to the conversation, which is really all we can do. You cannot change somebody's mind. Somebody has to want to change 
their own mind or not so much even want to change it. They have to be able to change it. I can't change your mind, listener or viewer, and you can't change mine or my mind. All we can do is present our evidence, our logic, our reasoning, our reasons for believing what we believe to others and then let them do with it what they will. If they're the kind of person who is willing to change their mind and we have a compelling case, we've got good evidence, we've got sound logical arguments, then what we present might be enough to get them, once they are willing to change their mind, to improve their opinion, to, to make a, a better evaluation of the, of the situation in front of us. Sure, but we can't change people's minds and they can't change our minds. If we're not willing to change our mind, our mind will not change. It's a very important tenet of human psychology that we need to understand. You cannot change someone's mind. Only they can. It's their mind. You know, and a lot of people think, oh, your mind is your brain and your brain is your mind. They, they believe in this mind-body one-to-one um, -one connection. Like it's so simple, you know, like a physical materialism, like a biological materialism. That's how they view the world. Other people don't see it that way. We see that our minds as being these amazing, barely understood phenomenon. Really, either way that you look at it, it's internal to that person in a way, either uh, physically or non-physically, if I can use that term. It's their mind. Your mind is your mind. My mind is my mind. Each person's mind is their own. We can't change that. All we can do is present ideas, information, evidence. The rest is up to them. And uh, by being part of a conversation, we give ourselves an opportunity we give other people that opportunity and that's all I'm doing with my work, especially my public work. That's all I'm doing with this video. And I feel like by doing this, I'm doing my part, especially because I try to present it in a way that I feel is almost unique. There are very few people in this scene who even give references or citations or what have you. Uh, fewer still who explain the psychology behind people's belief systems or explain how people get to where they are and so forth uh, rather than just say, oh, this is what I think and here's why. Say, so, well, here's, here's why I think others think what they think. Here's where they might be wrong. Uh, here's, here's, here might be a better way of looking at things. I really don't think there's many people in this scene who do things the way that I do. And the great thing is we're all different. We've all led different paths, been on different journeys. We'll all have different ways of presenting information. So each time one of us does that, who says, I will put some time in, put a little bit of planning into it and, uh, and put it out there. Each one of us is, uh, if we're here for the right reasons, then uh, we might be doing good work simply by trying. So there you go, Trump the Golden Goy. Very interesting, isn't it? So this is the final one for today. I think this is the final one. Yeah, this is the final one for today. And uh, I've been talking now for what? Almost two hours. I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. So uh, there's a good chance that when I check the news in a moment, it will uh, be looking a lot more convincing for Trump. It might have changed while I'm talking. Who knows? You know, but um, that's probably what will happen. And many people in the alt-right, in uh, 4chan or the 8chan poll boards and elsewhere, there's many other platforms. I should mention that you've got the Daily Stormer, you've got the Right Stuff forums, you've got a whole bunch of places where these people congregate. There'll be many people who are celebrating. They think this is great news. They'll feel as though they've memed this into existence, that they've had a direct impact on the uh, uh, political landscape, that um, this is a great day for them. This is the start of something new, something special. And uh, as I intimated uh, earlier in the show, many people felt a similar way eight years ago with Obama. Now, you might say, oh, but they're totally different to us. They're social justice warriors. They're liberal, progressive, moron retards. And uh, yeah, I agree with you about that. I think in this presentation today alone, and especially if you add it to what I presented uh, a few weeks ago post-debate, uh, you'll see that people who passionately support a political candidate, whether it is red or blue, Republican or Democrat, they might not be as different to each other 
as they think or as they want to think or as some people want them to think. So there'll be many people tonight celebrating, many people tomorrow celebrating, many people celebrating right through to the inaugura uh, inauguration next year uh, and beyond. And I think uh, what's important or one of the many things that's important is that uh, once they've they've had their little um, jubilation, you know, there's many people, this is their first election or the first election that their guys won, you know, the first time they've had an election where they feel that the guy they support has won. Once they've got that out of their system, they get back to what it was that they thought brought them there in the first place, whether it was being wise to the lies, hip to the hollow hoax, whether it was cultural Marxism, whether it was, you know, the whole Frankfurt School critical theory destroying society, whether it was, you know, Gamergate and the gender issues or whatever it was that brought them, that caused them to be disaffected and brought them here in the first place. So they focus on that because they've been, many of them have been convinced that if they focus their energies on a political candidate, that that is somehow a solution to their problems. Hopefully when they start to realise that that is not the case, that rather than become despondent and disaffected and just leave leave it all together, they say, well, that, that was disappointing. The whole Trump thing was disappointing. I thought he was on our side. But uh, there are still some truths that are important. There are still some facts that are important. There are still things that I've learned that uh, I haven't forgotten. And now it's time to get back to trying to do the research, present it to others, and hopefully improve the conversation. But uh, in the meantime, this image here, girls partying in the background with their beautiful bodies and their Chardonnay, what looks like wine glasses or Chardonnay. There's some uh, weird imagery on the right-hand side. Uh, pretty sick stuff, actually. And then you've got your... Well, you can see it for yourselves, can't you? And, uh, yeah, party hard, boys. Party hard, don't worry about the hangover. And, uh, yeah, many people, in fact, your enemies, if you have enemies, your enemies will always much rather you kill yourself than them have to worry about it, you know. And when I say kill, uh, I'm not just being uh, metaphorical or allegorical there. The way that we lead our lives, you know, how, what are we doing to ourselves? Um, uh, a lot of the times we are our own worst enemies and I'm as guilty as anyone of that. And we need to remember we're here for ourselves. At the end of the day, there's one person who can look after you and it's you. And uh, many people are quite happy for you to not worry about that, to uh, to externalize everything into a political candidate or into a, a movement, an online movement, um, an image board or a, a podcast or what have you, rather than focus on yourself. And uh, many of you, if you've made it this far through the presentation, You've got a good idea of what I'm talking about. So let's see what happens, shall we? Let's see what happens with this Trump candidacy. And that is the end of my little slideshow presentation. And uh, what I might do is just check out the live chat and about 20 people watching. So what I'll do is I'll just have a glass of water and then we might go and do some checking of the news, see what is news. Is it official yet? Obviously, they don't necessarily officially announce it till the, what is it, the electoral colleges get together or something. I don't know, something like that. So uh, it won't be official, official, but in terms of the media calling it, that might have happened. So we'll go and check. Just give me a chance to have a drink of water here. Ugh. Yeah, I always, uh, always talk away too fast during these things, but I feel I've got a lot to say. So I do stumble a little bit over my words, but um, ah, just one of those things, I guess. So anyway, in the live chat, we've got uh, a few people there. I might just go through a few of the comments and see what is being said. Uh, Muzz Buzz asks the question, Hey, JLB, do you acknowledge the James Balfour Declaration and the Havara Agreement, the land of Palestine becoming Israel, 
have you researched the idea of the Greater Israel Project? That's a good question, actually, Mosbaz. So credit to you for that. Yeah, the uh, Balfour Declaration and the Harvara Agreement. So I have looked into those. I used to believe in those. I'm now very skeptical of all of history. But if we just look at history on the service level, take it for obviously you've got the uh, Balfour Declaration and the Havara Agreement leading to what we now know as Israel because before World War One, what is now Israel was um, the Ottoman Empire, if memory serves me correctly. And so the Balfour Declaration was, uh, I think Balfour was a minister for England at the time and uh, he was told that, was it one of the Rothschilds? This is the official history, by the way, if, if I remember it correctly. One of the Rothschilds said, uh, yeah, we'll give you some cash, we'll fund you or we'll help you in one way or another. But... Um, in return, we want you to um, to give us part of the Ottoman Empire, that Israel part. And the Havara Agreement was World War II when supposedly Hitler did a deal with like the Bank of Israel or some bank that is now basically the Bank of Israel, where what happened was the Jews who wanted to leave Germany were able to uh, basically go to Israel. You know, it was like, we'll take care of them for you, move them to Israel, we'll start populating Israel and uh, you can get them out of your country. That's the official history, and it was when I discovered things like that, and that's, um, I'm paraphrasing or giving a broad overview, haven't double-checked those for a while, but it was when I learned about stuff like the Balfour Declaration, and especially the Harvara Agreement, I was like, what? How does, I was taught that they were all killed, like they were all intentionally murdered, man, they were put in camps to be murdered. What do you, how come no one told me there was a deal where they could just leave Germany and go to Israel? Like that's, why the hell would Hitler do that? You know what I mean? And then it started me down this path of looking into things further and then eventually reaching the stage where I'm at right now where I'm like, holo hoax, please, man. The whole thing's a joke. Every last bit of it. All of World War II means a joke, to be honest, but the holo hoax especially, just ridiculous. And I, re I recommend people go and look into the work of Eric Hunt, E-R-I-C Hunt, Eric Hunt. He's produced like five or six documentaries now and uh, you can just find them on YouTube or whatever and um, yeah, just watch those. It, that, that, that should be all you need to see. It's like, hold on, you're telling media is that they used this little shed thing to kill how many people and it had glass windows and the room where you gas people had a glass window in the door really like what and the chimneys aren't even attached to the buildings and like no one is allowed to excavate and find any bodies at all like not even one this is the this is the official story what very very quickly yeah I mean, it's almost, if you look at my hoax hierarchy, I've got the holo hoax in the level of the kitty hoaxes. And uh, it's in that level for an important reason. I kind of feel like you almost wouldn't want that to be someone's first uh, hoax to, to see. And the hoax hierarchy, I haven't designed it uh, to be like a step-by-step -step process of deprogramming it. There's another, there's a couple other reasons why it's been set up the way that it has, but like having the holo hoax at the level where it is, the kitty hoax which, pardon me, is just um, three levels. It's a third level from, from base level. It's uh, two, two up from base level. It's the third level in total. The reason why I like having it there is because it would be very disorienting if that were the first thing. If, if you sat down with someone and you were a complete normie and they showed you some of Eric Hunt's works and you're just like, no, that can't be, that can't be the official story. Because what Hunt does is he shows the official story. He even shows like BBC footage. He's like, this is their documentary. And that land himself is like, this is a Christian cemetery. It's not Jewish at all. Like, you just have to see it for yourself, and you're just like, "What the hell?" Like, I knew the story was embellished. Like, I'd, I'd worked that out a while ago, but this is just complete and utter nonsense. It'd be 
I mean, it's all of these steps are very disorienting, but if you go that, that one first, it'd be pretty full on. Whereas for me, my first sort of, um, you know, hoaxes that I learned about were the Boston bombings, the Sandy Hooks, these kinds of things, which is still disorienting. I mean, it's always the first time you learn the media can lie to you about people dying. That's a, that's a pretty full on thing. But at least for me, it was just, you know, a few kids at a school or, uh, you know, a couple of dudes at a, at a marathon to learn that it's a uh, 6 million. You, you believed in 6 million and there's no evidence for any of them. That is, uh, that's pretty full on. So, yeah, so actually that Mars Buzz, I, I have to say that's a good question from you. I like that one. So, uh, Omar Corona says, I'm the guy in the soapbox. He's referring to that um, section that I did on the maturity level. And uh, we'll go through the rest. Uh, AP just called it Trump, the 45th president. There you go. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So just in finishing your question, Mars Buzz, when you say, do I acknowledge them? Well, I used to talk about them on the ARP. Of course, the ARP was a lot earlier in my deprogramming journey. So I used to refer to the, especially the Harvard Agreement on a, on a regular basis, didn't I? Same as um, Ovadia Yosef used to refer to him on a regular basis back then. I don't really speak so much about Balfour or Harvara these days because I don't really speak. I don't try and use any claims, official or otherwise, about history, you know, decades and decades ago. Uh, to make any point or make any claims these days because of just how skeptical I am of all history. And I mean, when I say skeptical, I mean as in we all believe a lot of things. There's a few things I've gone to try and find a proper primary evidence for. And uh, yeah, it blew my mind. So when you say to acknowledge them, well, that's the official history now. Like the Balfour Declaration is official history. Havara is official history. So I acknowledge that they're official history for sure. And I also acknowledge that when you learn about them, it makes you question if you haven't already. The entire story of, uh, or at least one part of the story of World War Two. Okay, so we'll move on through the comments then, and uh, let's see. Lucas Cullen is in there. Lucas and I have been meaning to do a live show. Obviously, he and I have a documentary coming up. Uh, what are we now? November. Not much more than a month, maybe six weeks, depending on how the, uh, the logistics work out. Where we'll be doing something that will be game changing. This scene has never seen anything like it. It's, um, I'm very excited about it. It keeps me, I mean, I'm already motivated to do what I'm doing, but it keeps me particularly motivated because I'm confident this will be some of the best work that, that I've done in the two years that I've been here. And um, I have put a lot of time and effort into so much of what I've done. This thing that's coming up, it's almost going to do the work itself. I mean, once we get all set up, it's, uh, I'll talk about it later. But yeah, good to see uh, Lucas in the live chat. Big work, he and I coming up in the future. Let's see, uh, Muzz Buzz. I mean, I'm going through the live chat from a few moments ago, guys, so bear with me here. This is from a few moments after his question about Belfort. Muzz Buzz says, you definitely have a chip on the shoulder against me, John. Well, that's not true. I don't know why. It all seems very black and white to you. Well, some things are pretty black and white, dude. Uh, I don't follow anybody, just my own discernment. That we see eye to eye on a lot of information. Yeah, man, we, there are lots of things that we, that we see eye to eye. I know that about that. I think, though, at the same time, when you're on this side of the screen or this side of the microphone and you put in as much time as I do to do primary evidence research, to go and read books that no one else bothers reading, scientific papers that no one else bothers uh, reading, and then you present that to your audience and then you have people who will uh, they'll see a he they'll see the title of a video and they'll thumbs it down and leave a stupid comment and it's like, well, you know what's being presented to you? you know, I'm, I'm happy to do this work. I enjoy doing this work. I'm happy to present what I find. And if someone comes along and they're too moronic or stupid to even engage with what I've presented, I've got every right to call that person a retard because to me, that's what they are. And uh, there are many people out there 
they behave like retards all the time, especially when research or evidence or ideas are presented to them that don't make them feel good. And many people don't feel good when whatever they believe is challenged. I mean, I guess it's and it's a natural thing for that not to feel good. But many people, it feels very bad. They hate it. They hate any person who does that. They hate the person who presents information or ideas that challenge those that they have uh, already held, their preconceived notions, if you like. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, some people think that I'm a bit abrasive these days because I do call people retards when it's like, hold on, I just presented you an argument and evidence. You haven't pointed out a problem with the logical form of the argument. You haven't pointed out a problem with the evidence. You're just disagreeing like a baby. You're acting like a baby. You're a retard. People think that's abrasive. And I can see why. If I, were, if I was a baby, I would find that abrasive as well. If I was a mature man and I heard another man acting like that saying, look, guys, here's my evidence. Here's the logical form of my argument. Tell me where I'm wrong. You'll help us both. And then they have people just saying, no, nah, you're a nasty pastor. You're a shill. You're a this, you're a that. And then that person saying, all right, then you're a retard. I go like, yeah, I agree with that guy. You are a retard. He's giving you a logical argument. He's giving you his evidence. Point out the problems with one of those two things. Everybody's happy. Sit there and cry like a baby. Yeah, you're a retard. So moving on, uh, let's see. We've got bipolar troll in the live chat as well. And uh, Muzzbuzz, I hate to keep picking out his comments, but he's posting sort of two comments for everybody else's one. He says, JLB believes that Trump wants to kill the whiteys. And uh, no, I don't know if, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know anything about Trump. He's a character. He's a TV character. So of all of the episodes that feature Trump, I haven't seen anything that uh, indicates that he, as a character, wants to do anything. However, the people who control the system, or at least uh, a group of people who play a large role in controlling the system, the circus, uh, yeah, they're quite open about what they want to do. They want to mix all of us into one big, homogenous, diverse, easily controllable, atomistic horde of masses that they're pretty open about that really if you take the time to read what they have to say uh, i'll give you an example uh, what is her name it'll come to me she is the lady who was speaking about uh, europe europe must become multicultural or else europe will cease to exist ah i should have her name it's uh, she's on my the banner of my website let's go and check it out it'll come to me if i see her name i'm pretty sure let's go check it out uh, let's see. There she is at the top. Where is she? Oh, this one. This is embarrassing. Her name should come to me. Oh, oh, can't remember it. Anyway, her name will come to me. There's a lady. I might play the YouTube video of her later. She's um, she's in Sweden now for some reason, but she self-identifies as Jewish, and uh, she's part of some non-government organization there. And uh, she says that Europe will no longer be the monolithic society that once was and that Jews will be at the center of that transformation and that they'll be resented for that, but they will do it anyway. And uh, that if Europe doesn't become multicultural the way that she and her fellow Jews plan, it'll cease to exist. You know, and that's, that's I've, I've played that clip several times before over my many different shows, you know, and um, yeah, they're not all on it, of course. I mean, I've made this point so many times, I shouldn't have made it again. They're not all in on it. Many of them don't seem to really have much uh, with the rest of their tribe but some tribe members know exactly what they're doing and they're not hiding it and it just so happens that old mate trumpy him and the tribe are bffs you know so i mean how much what more do you need is what i'm trying to ask you but yeah oh, her name doesn't come to me that's a oh, just a bit of a mind blank on that one that'll come back to me but anyway so no to answer your question most buzz i don't think trump trump is a character guys i mean i didn't spend much time in this presentation explaining why 
the mainstream media is a circus. What I might do is bring up a quote from old mate Bernays, but if you look into who Edward Bernays was, why he was so important, then you'll think, hey, I might go and read his book, Propaganda. It's a short book, guys. It's like 120 pages, I think. It was a couple of years ago that I read it now, but it's a short read, really, and it, it's written in a very easy to read or easily digestible uh, format. And, and also, it's useful if you are a content producer or you like to speak with people in the real world and you like to convey your ideas in a way that is amenable to others, it's good to know what people like Bernays, the insights that they have into how people receive information. But it's also useful because he says quite clearly, these elections are a circus. Are you kidding me? You know, he's, they're very blatant about it if you just take the time to go and read their books. And that's something else. I mean, look, I don't read anywhere near enough books as well. I'm, I'm just as guilty as, uh, well, I'm as guilty as many people, but the majority of people in this scene do not read books at all. It's almost like they're kryptonite. It's like they can't actually, they might borrow a book. They might, they might buy a few books and have them delivered. But in terms of actually sitting down in peace and quiet and reading, they can't do it. And I think many people now in society, not, not just in this scene, but just people in general, the idea of sitting down and reading a book, it's they can't do it anymore. And can you blame them? You know, many people now have had uh, five or 10 years of instant gratification, social media, internet, YouTube now. Oh, I'm doing research. I'm watching a YouTube video. And it's like, that's not really research, dude. I mean, if there were people in this scene who did good research and you watched their videos, yeah, to an extent, that would be kind of like doing research. But there aren't many people in this scene that are actually doing the research for you. So you've got a whole bunch of people who won't do the research watching the videos of other people who won't do the research, many of whom are parroting the claims of other people who aren't doing research. It's a complete other shit show. But because people have had access to this for, like I said, so many years now, it's very difficult for them to go back to reading books in peace and quiet. You know, they can't. I mean, there are any people now, especially my age and younger, they, they can't even have peace and quiet to begin with. They just can't do it. They'll put music on when they're in the shower. It's like, dude, it's a five, ten minute shower. You don't really need music, do you? No, I like it. Yeah, but when do you get your peace and quiet, dude? Like it's shower, music in the shower, radio in the car. Then you're at work, radio on the way home, TV as soon as you get home. When's your, uh, when's your quiet time? Many people don't have it anymore and that's totally normal to them, you know? So if they can't even have quiet time, when are they going to read a book? Whereas for me, I was very lucky because that what happened was I was living with a guy at the time, uh, this was 2000, early 2014. And um, he and I, we got into all this through YouTube as well, which is a very natural thing, nothing wrong with that. And I saw a video, he saw a video that he shared with me, and it was by a guy called Storm Clouds Gathering. Now, I don't even know if SCG even makes videos anymore, but he was one of the YouTubers who I got into early, and he made a video talking about networking, learning about propaganda, etc. And he mentioned this book, uh, Propaganda, by Edward Bernays. And so my mate, who was a university student, that's how I met him at university. We, we lived together not far from uni, like maybe only a couple of k's from the university. It was really cool, the place we lived in. Anyway, he had gone and gotten a copy of Propaganda by Bernays from the university library, right? I know I am so thankful that he did because I didn't even know if he read it, but he had it. So I was like, dude, I'll, since you've got it, I'll take a look at it. Read the first few pages, loved it, ended up reading the whole thing. And that played a large role in, I guess, the path that I took from that point on when it comes to research and like, hey, there's some good stuff in these books. Like, they're pretty blatant about this stuff and they, they also teach you how to convey your ideas so it's like doubly good. Sent me on a whole different path to many people and it was a book that I probably would have been too lazy to go and borrow myself. I was just lucky that the guy I was living with at the time, a good mate of mine at the time, he'd gone and done that and uh, the rest is history. So, um, so yeah. 
Anyway, moving on. So let's go through these comments and uh, what else is there? Does Trump support Israel? Well, he says he does, but he's a character. You know what I mean? Let's have, inverted realities in there. He's a cool dude most of the time, isn't he? Let's have a look. Maddie V. Phuket, Thailand. Actually, man, that reminds me. I've been meaning to catch up with that guy. Sorry, Maddie. We uh, I'm in Melbourne, so I've got no excuses, dude. We should set up something for uh, for soon. Be nice to meet you in real life. Maddie was on uh, Sunday sessions actually with me oh, over a year ago now, and um, very interesting character, old Maddie V. Phuket. And he's in the live chat. He says the result was predictable. When you look at Brexit, the I didn't see that coming result reinforces the illusion that votes count. Well, look, I can that argument I understand. Dude, Trump was paying like five fifty on sports bet maybe a week ago. Let's say two weeks ago. It was definitely not more than two weeks ago. You could get five fifty on Trump at sports bet, man. And I thought about putting some money on it, and I was like, nah, man, I don't want to put money into an account just to bet on a circus. In hindsight, I wish I had of, but oh well. But uh, it's so easy in hindsight, isn't it? But I thought to myself, man, 550, that's crazy. It's a two-horse race. Could go either way. So like if it was a game of football back in the old uh, betting days, if it's a game of football and you think it's a genuine 50-50 and one side is paying even $3, you jump on that. 550, man, that's just money for jam. But uh, And I, I thought about it. You know, I thought about it. I was like, man, that's just chuck 100 on it. There's an easy 400 bucks, man. But I was like, nah, because it could just as easily be Clinton. So, and then I'd feel like an idiot, wouldn't I? I'd feel like an absolute idiot if I bet on Trump and then Clinton won. It's like, oh, well, you know, that makes sense. So, didn't put any money on it. But uh, Maddie V, did you put some cash on it? Because if it was predictable, you could have made some cash. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Validation Boy is in the live chat. Yeah. He says he's got a theory on Trump's win. Mm, that's interesting. And, uh, yeah, so that is the live chat. 30 watching now. How did it got An extra 10 people have just come out of nowhere. They missed the important part of the show when I was doing the um, when I was doing my little presentation thing. Oh well, it doesn't matter. It's there for posterity, so people can go and check that out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and have another glass of water, try and slow down a little bit because I'm talking too fast. One of my big flaws when I do these live shows sometimes, and then I might come back and just do a little review of uh, some of the news. Apparently Trump is in. So guys, just bear with me. I do apologise for the dead air. I might play... No, I don't want to play that song because I'll, uh, I'll get in trouble from YouTube. I know, not worth it. What can I do? I can't... The problem is I can't screen share videos because when I try, it doesn't play the audio. Don't ask me why. I don't know why it does that. What can I do instead? Look, I'll try and avoid the dead air. I'll just have a quick glass of water. Stuff it. Just have a quick glass of water. Look, <sighs> man, Melbourne water. Goodness gracious. Yeah, Matty V. Phuket says he lost his coin on North Melbourne in the finals. Yeah, well, yeah, don't get me started on that. It's a tough one, Matty, because, I mean, I've had this, I've said this before publicly. I've said it to you as well off the air, I think. Um, I grew up following a professional sporting club. Now that I know what I know about professional sports, what I know about money, what I know about the world, uh, it's difficult because, um, you know, there's something nice about being able to switch off for three hours a week, watch a bunch of dudes running around a ball, you know, care when they're winning, not care when they're losing. And, you know, uh, they, there is something nice about that. And obviously, uh, you know, Gino and Adam down here, who I met through doing the work that I do down here, they've got a couple of mates who are really cool dudes to hang out with and just bounce some ideas off. We just, oh, to just sit there and listen and get other people's perspectives, like real world people, people who aren't involved in this little bubble scene, just real people with real families and real jobs, uh, but who are interested in this stuff and just listen to their takes on things. And one of them, he, he's asked me a couple of times now when I've been hanging out uh, with the group of them, like, 
do, do you ever just switch off from this? <laughs> like, do you ever just uh, not think about this stuff? And I've had to say to him, honestly, um, not really, dude. Like, uh, I guess if I'm watching footy or getting drunk with a bunch of dudes, yeah, I guess that, that counts. But, um, yeah, for the most part, this is what I do. I either research or I compile. I mean, that Hillary video, it's only a 10-minute video. Between scripting, recording, editing, that was easily five or six hours. You know what I mean? So I'm working on this. I mean, lately I've been working on my website because I've um, tried to build up this members section as well. So, I mean, I put a lot of time into all of this. And then even when I'm not putting time into this, if I'm just going for a walk or going into the city, I'm listening to a podcast, which is on topics like these. So no, I don't listen to music the way I used to. So there's really not, I really don't have time to switch off. So sometimes kicking back, watching the footy is an easy way to do that. But at the same time, once you know what you know about professional sports, it's like, eh, I don't know. It was a tough one, Matty V. So, um, so yeah, but uh, with that little caveat out of the way, I will say, man, I'm happy. Got rid of a bunch of old hacks who uh, were holding the club back. People were upset about it. I'm like, I'm glad they're gone, man. We're better off without them. The only one I'll miss is Ferrito. The rest are all hacks. I reckon the team will be much better next year. I reckon uh, they might do a lot better in 20, what are we now, 2017. I reckon the Rue boys might go all right in 2017, dude. Whereas your mob, boy, oh boy, uh, the Tigers, you guys are in some serious strife, buddy. It's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, really sad. In fact, if I'm still down here in Melbourne, I don't, I don't think I will be, but if I am, and you are, we should go to a game at the MCG. What do you reckon? Why not? How much does it cost for a ticket these days? 30 bucks? Be interesting. You know, I went to a game, actually, when I was down in Melbourne a couple months ago. Hadn't been to the MCG in a long time. And again, it's my guilty pleasure. Don't judge me. Dude, they were... Um, this is the MCG, right? They were using, like, you know, those um, scanners that the, the airport... They were using that for every single person. This is for uh, North Melbourne versus Hawthorne. We got spanked that day as well. Every single dude walking into the MCG, man, woman, and child, was getting scanned by those, um, like by metal detectors, I guess, right? A bag check, which is just normal, has been for like 10 years now. And also uh, like a full-on check. And it's like, and I was trying to explain to someone, I don't really, like in real life, I don't think they quite understood what I was saying. I was like, dude, imagine being a child and seeing this. Like a lot of adults, we... We remember uh, 9-11 and, and we'll think to ourselves, oh, I guess they've got to do this because there's these evil terrorists out there, I guess. you know. But, but a child doesn't know any different, man. Like There are people voting at this election today in the US or yesterday, whenever it was. They don't know any different to a post-9-11 world. They don't remember anything different. And you imagine being five, six, seven now and you're, it's a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon and you're going to watch your heroes run around the MCG and before you can get in, just before you can get in, there's people making these queues, these lines of people, and they're all having to put their bags on the table. They're all having to put their arms up and do a little scarecrow and get scanned, every single one of them. And uh, that child is naturally going to ask, why do we have to do this? And what does a parent say? Oh, because there are these uh, people out there who want to blow you up, basically. This is to protect us. It's, it's insane, man. It is crazy. It's like, when you know what you're looking at and you know the effect that this is going to have on children just by osmosis, just by the implications of what's happening, it it's full on, man. Like, um, you know, th this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing to little children, you know. And, of course, people like me and you, Maddie, we know this terrorism nonsense is a joke, okay? It's a complete joke. It's all make-believe. It's wag the dog, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro-style nonsense. But um, the children don't know that and uh, they're being psychologically abused by this nonsense. It's terrible.
So yeah, Jed Skeptic Media in the chat. Uh, he's been doing some good work lately. I um, I've been meaning to once because the next video I have to release is JLB sixteen one hundred because obviously I number all of my videos, all of my pre uh, done, pre produced videos, and uh, I'm up to sixteen one hundred. And so that'll be a channel update where I'll announce that I've finally got the member section up and running, and that uh, you know. Since my last update, the channel's had so many new subscribers, so many new views, whatever. You know, just a general channel update, which is a good habit to be in. And um, once I've done that, then I've got like five or six videos that I want to release. And one of them is like, uh, hey, Jed Skeptic Media, I was wrong. You know what I mean? Because I used to go to his channel and he was doing these good videos talking about this FE scene and how crazy these people are and how they're liars, manipulators, talking about this new age nonsense, doing good work. And uh, at first I was like, man, this is great work, this is great work. And he kept on making the videos. And I was like, dude, why are you paying these people attention? You know what I mean? They're, they're charlatans. They're fools. Most of their viewers are complete and utter retards. Why are you wasting your time, man? But since then, I've come around. I'm like, you know what? It isn't really wasting your time because we're not watching television anymore, most of us. And you do like to be able to watch something, engage with something that um, you can just sit on your couch. Or in my case, I don't really sit, sit down much. I like to stand a lot these days. I've got a standing desk. Everywhere I go, I just make my own standing desk. Like right now, I'm broadcasting standing up. I've been broadcasting for the last two hours standing up, you know. Like that Hillary video, I recorded, edited a whole lot standing up. This, I think it's better for you. So the point of my story is you like to have stuff that you can either watch or in my case, listen to that is um, entertaining. And uh, if you're not watching TV, what is that going to be? Man, this FE reality TV scene is uh, fantastic. You know, we can... I can try and justify to myself as, oh, well, I'm kind of learning. And obviously, to an extent, I am. But, I mean, I think this scene, I've learnt, I think I've learnt most of what I'm going to learn about it already. I've got a lot more I'd like to broadcast about it and what have you, but I've already learnt so much from it. I think most of my interest now really is just that guilty pleasure of, wow, like, wow, these, these could be real people. And imagine if they are real people, man. Like, you know, you've got a 27-year-old man who spends hours a week, like many, many hours a week, in these live Google Hangouts, who, uh, who says that his wife of 27 years left him. He says that he's smoking one spliff per hour and he's awake 20 hours per day so he can take part in all of these live chats. That's 20 spliffs a day. He says he can't afford his internet bill, so he needs money from uh, his, his followers and his viewers, all because of FE. <laughs> this Martin guy, I think he's a real guy, but I would love to find out that he's not because that's that's really sad if it's real. And we're, we're seeing this in real time. you know. And as I tried to explain the other day, it's it's not about schadenfreude. It's not about taking pleasure in other people's misery or anything like that. Uh, it is, at the same time, though, you know, just a human sense, a basic human sense, fascinating, uh, far more interesting than TV. And the average person today, and I, I had to, I wrote an article, or I wrote a page for johnlebond.com recently talking about the baby hoaxes. And so I had to, because I thought it was about two and a half hours a day that the average person watches TV based on studies, but I had to go and double check that for this page, obviously, and so I could link to it because I like to provide links with what I write. And no, the more, the more recent studies are three hours, almost three hours, like two hours, 58, one study said. I was like, Jesus, man, that's the average, by the way. So for every dude like me not watching any TV or watching, you know, if you average it out, including elections and that sort of thing, let's say for argument's sake, 30 minutes a day. There's some dude out there watching a lot more than three hours. Do you know what I mean? Like in a, in a rough sense. I know there's some statisticians out there who say, oh, that's not really how averages work. Okay, whatever. You get what I'm trying to say though. There are plenty of people who are watching way more than three hours. And it's like, you know what? If uh, the average person watches three hours of TV a day and I want to listen to three or four hours of FE nonsense per week, uh, I'm going to forgive myself for that. 
and uh, yeah, and so Jed, uh, I was wrong, man. If you want to dedicate your time to exposing the FE charlatans, I say do it, dude. Like, uh, especially if you enjoy it, you need, you know, do what you enjoy, especially in this scene. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's not your job to to wake anybody up or to, you know, it's not your job to go and research some other topic. If you want to do that, great. If you just want to focus on FE, then by all means, man, do it. Uh, I was uh, I was wrong to to try and suggest you should be doing something different. What you should be doing is what you want to do. And if you want to do this, then I say go for it. So, uh, so yeah, in the live chat, Matty V. Phuket says it's all it's good, good to break away from reality for a few hours. Yeah, I think it is, man. Like I think, um, I think you can easily go overboard. I think I have, to a large extent, gone overboard with what I've been doing for the last two years. It has uh, very much taken up all of my spare time. You know what I mean? Like I still go out and try and do some exercise, and I still go out and try and socialize a bit. But uh, for the most part, this is what I do now, in one way or another. And um, it's been good because in two years, I feel like I've learned a lot and improved a lot and done a lot. You know, I'm proud of what I've done in the two years. But at the same time, it's like, man, I could have been doing more for me, you know, more uh, more taking care of my body, taking care of my social life, uh, these sorts of things. So I think I've gone far too far one way. Uh, there's been some benefits from it, but there's been some definite negatives as well. And uh, even just breaking away for a few hours, like Matty V says, watching a game of footy or whatever. Uh, could be good for you just to get away from it. I uh, fully understand, especially, man, when most people in this scene are doing nothing. They're actually doing nothing productive whatsoever. All of this is really just breaking away from reality for them. Uh, the few of us who are producing real content and real research, why can't we spend a few hours watching footy every week? Uh, yeah. You know, my, my views are constantly evolving on these things. You know what I mean? It, it takes time. I'm still learning, still constantly learning. So many things that I think now or believe now or see now or understand now. There's no way I could have a year ago or especially two years ago, I had to do it this way to get to the point that I'm at, you know? Like, um, I was thinking about this today, even just the ARP. The ARP now is a show that's very different to what I would do if I was starting up a show today. Very different in so many ways. But it's like, sure, but if I hadn't done that, how would I know what I now know? I wouldn't. You know, it's that simple. So, it's all a learning process for me, anyhow. And uh, let's see. Muzz Buzz is just dominating the chat. Is anyone else in there? Uh, let's see. Not many people in there. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, yeah. Muzzbuzz says, Eric Hunt will have a look-see. Yeah, man, you've got to. Like, I'm planning to put a page up there on my website. I've listened to, like, 20 different podcasts that Eric Hunt was a part of. He, um, you know, he's been interviewed by people like Diana Spangola. He's been interviewed by people like Kyle Hunt of Renegade Broadcasting, John Friend of The Realist Report. Um, a whole host of others that he's spoken to and I've listened to all of them because I was planning to do a, a piece on him like a comment response uh, to do with that Max Egan interview about the whole hoax and so I, I went back and looked at um, Spielberg's hoax Last Days of the Big Lie which had a huge effect on me such a profound impact that one documentary by Eric at the time and uh, so I thought I better go back and rewatch it it's been the best part of two years let's go back and rewatch it and uh, it was even better than I remembered but then I was like, he's made a few other films as well, hasn't he? Turns out he's made like five others. So I went and watched each of them as well. Took notes, obviously. That's what I do. I take notes and all that kind of thing. So I want to go and um, put together a page for my website just dedicated to Eric Hunt's work because there's like there's no compendium of his work that I can find online. Like even his own websites, are, like, they don't really seem to highlight his work all that well for some reason from what I can tell. So I'm like, I'll just do it for him. You know, I'll just put, put a list together in uh, chronological order of all of his films with a synopsis, all of his podcasts with a synopsis, link to them all and let people check them out. And yeah, you only need to watch one or two of his films 
even if you believe in the six million, I think even a normie could see just one or two of his films and, and walk away, you know, at the very least, frightened and startled, and uh, you know, and at best, full disbeliever of the whole six million nonsense. Amazing work, Eric. And his story is really interesting because he's only a couple of years older than me, and he started doing all of this years and years and years ago. So when he was like in his early twenties, in fact, and, and this is where it does get a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say suspicious, but the whole story is, is very, very weird. He actually got uh, sentenced to some time in the big house. I don't know if it was a few months, might have been a year, might have even been the best part of two years that he had to spend in the big house for allegedly uh, assaulting, is it, um, oh, his name will come to me, one of those really well-known hollow hoax fakers. And what had happened was he'd gone to a, a speech that was being given by this guy and um, had tried to interview him, uh, but instead of because this guy would never interview, like let him do an interview if he knew that he was a skeptic, obviously. But what he did was he grabbed this guy's um, like his uh, jacket uh, sleeve, I guess, and said, "Hey, like come out of the the elevator lift. I want to interview and, and the cameras in my room, which is obviously a very dumb thing to do." And he says, "Like that was a dumb thing to do. I shouldn't have shouldn't have touched him. Probably shouldn't have even gone there at all. You know what I mean? I'm paraphrasing. This is all going off what uh, Eric has said in his many different um, interviews and what have you." And uh, yeah, he ended up getting charged for it and spent, um, I'm, I think it might have been somewhere between a year and two years in the big house. He came out and he um, he might have spent a bit of time laying low, but since then he's released another two or three documentaries and each one is better than the last. Like this is a man who you can see is improving and that's something that I like to see in people is like, are they actually pro- improving their production values, their content, et cetera? Because I certainly like to think that I am and um, and he definitely has. So yeah, check out Eric Hunt. He's it's weird. It's weird to say that someone who's roughly my age and some of his work is—he was younger than I am now—is an inspiration. But he definitely is, and he definitely was when I first got into this scene. Uh, Spielberg's hoax, Last Days of the Big Lie. If you can watch that film, look, I've I've tried to show that film to people. I'll give you one example. I showed that film to someone who was very uh, dear to me, very important to me, and um, afterwards they were still trying to make excuses. They were like, "Oh yeah, but maybe." You know, maybe this and maybe that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to waste any more time trying to trying to show this person this stuff. It's just not. There's no important point. You know, I, mean, I can still care about this person. I can still love this person. They're still a, a very important person to me. But in terms of trying to get them to stop believing the lies of the Talmud vision, no, there's no point because if you can if you can see that if you can see that Spielberg told Spielberg's film involved actors telling blatant and easily provable lies wins an Academy Award for it. Academy Award does not get revoked. We know that the actors are lying because we've got footage of them telling different stories at different times. If it can be that blatant, that obvious, that easy to prove, and people will still try and defend it, you're not dealing with people who are basing their opinions on logic or reason or evidence. And why, if you're someone like me who tries to base his opinions on logic and reason and evidence, and you can show undeniable evidence and very simple logic to someone, and they can't, they can't, and they can't engage with it intellectually. Then why would you keep doing that? You know, it's almost like a good litmus test. Eric Hunt's work. So, yeah, go and check that out. I'll, like I said, I'll, man, it's taken me so long to get this website up and running. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, no, look, I'm glad that I've done it myself. I haven't gone and paid anyone else to do it. I've done it all myself. I've tried a whole bunch of different plugins and all the rest of it. Finally, got it pretty much the way I like it. I'm glad I've done it this way because you learn. You know, you learn from doing it yourself, and there's a certain pride that comes from it. But it does take a lot of time and uh and yeah so i've got eric hunt's another one i've got all of his um films and like, i've got them all notes i've got lots of pages with handwritten notes for the key sections and all the rest of it all of his um i've got like a word file with links to all of his podcasts in chronological order that i had to dig out myself i had to 
basically just do a, a broad Google search, not just on Eric Hunt interview, but on, um, you know, going to different forums where you might find his kind of work and then checking through their search engines and all the rest of it came up with about 20. So, um, so I've got it all there ready to go. It was just a matter of sitting down and putting it into a, into a page for the website. So I will get around to that, Eric Hunt. And uh, who knows, man, maybe one day I'll get a chance to interview him or maybe even meet him. You know, who knows? Still young. He's still young. See how we go. Uh, let's see. Just going through the live chat. Um, sorry about the dead air here, guys. And uh, yeah, so I might wrap this one up soon. And uh, yeah, what do we got? 19 people, 20 people watching. Beautiful. Eric Hunt, Edward Bernays. Check out Edward Bernays propaganda. Good stuff. So let's just quickly go now to, let's see, uh, the New York Times. I like to check out the New York Times to see what they have to say for themselves. Oh, wow. Check this out. Trump triumphs. Let's, um, let's go and screen share that. Trump triumphs. Where are we? They called it. It's actually happening. You just wait until everyone comes out and is like, oh, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. I told you it was going to happen. No, you didn't. All right, let's have a look. Trump triumphs. I hope this is one that's coming through to you guys. It says Trump 279, electoral college votes or seats, whatever you call it, Clinton 218. So that's about 60 in front. And of course, he's reached that magic number. And in the Senate, it looks like 51 Republicans, Democrats, 47. I think there's only 100 Senate seats, two per state. Could be wrong, but it means they'll have control of the Senate as well and the House. It's looking very good for the Republicans. And uh, there it is. Look at that. Trump triumphs. Shocking upset as outsider harnesses voters' discontent. And... Uh, Top article says, campaign took relentless aim at institutions and ideals. Let's just go and read the, the lead of that one. Uh, a striver who defies the rules and the odds. News analysis, promise and fears of a new world order. Let's read that one first, shall we? Donald Trump's victory promises to upend the international order. And there's a very interesting photo here where Trump only takes up the lower portion. He's pointing to someone in the crowd. The camera frame is looking up towards a wall that says, Make America Great Again. And there is the American flag. Lots of blue, lots of red. Very interesting framing of a photo. And uh, there you go. Look at this. The lead says, Jerusalem. This is coming to us from Jerusalem. Make of that what you will. And I quote, Donald J. Trump's stunning election. Uh, let me repeat that. Donald J. Trump's stunning election victory on Tuesday night rippled way beyond the nation's boundaries, upending an international order that prevailed for decades and raising profound questions about America's place in the world. For the first time since before World War II, Americans chose a president who promised to reverse the internationalism practiced by predecessors of both parties and to build walls both physical and metaphorical. Mr. Trump's win foreshadowed an America more focused on its own affairs while leaving the world to take care of itself, end quote. I'll just leave it there. They said the exact same thing about uh, about uh, George Bush. You know that? If you go back to George Bush's win, he was elected in, what, 2000? And uh, they were saying, oh, you know, Bush, Bush just wants to focus on America and leave the world behind. And then, of course, next thing you know, they're invading Afghanistan, they're invading Iraq. And uh, supposedly, anyway, and the rest is history. 
you see? So this is all just, this is what I mean, guys. It's all just a circus, man. Let's check out this article. This is Donald Trump rode to power in the role of the common man. Oh, really? And uh, this photo, you've just got a smiling uh, Trump again looking up from the crowd. Looks like a very happy man indeed. Quote, Donald John Trump defied the skeptics who said he would never run and the political veterans who scoffed at his slapdash campaign. He attacked the norms of American politics, singling out groups for derision on the basis of race and religion and attacking the legitimacy of the political process. He ignored conventions of common decency, employing casual vulgarity and re and reigning rather personal humiliation on his political opponents and critics in the media and quote blah 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 donald trump's career path oh, of course the uh the everyman the outside man the uh well wasn't his father a real estate mogul as well supposedly a billionaire what a nonsense man just go through it blah 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 so mr trump fashioned himself instead as a proudly garish champion of the common man a person of unsophisticated tastes but distinctive popular appeal and acted the part in extravagant fashion, first in the New York tabloids and then on national television. Well, yeah, this is going to be fascinating, guys, just watching what like what the mainstream press says about all of this and the way they frame the narrative about this now. And I mean, lemmings, man, the average lemming has the attention span not quite as bad as a goldfish but not much better. And uh, whatever they're told about what's happened, many of them will just believe it. It will all just become truth so quickly, which is amazing in this day and age because you can access articles from the past so easily. You know, like anyone can go and look up the archives. I mean, if I wanted to right now, I could go and look up the archives of what was said about Bush when he won. And I'm tempted to do that. I might just do that. Let's see this other article as well. This one is entitled, and again, these are all from the New York Times. Donald Trump is elected president in stunning repudiation of the establishment. Oh, really? The every man is uh, repudiating the establishment. And this photo, you've got Trump in front of his teleprompters and uh, behind him is Pence, what looks like his family, his uh, gorgeous wife, full credit. That is a, a very beautiful woman for her age or just even take her out of her age. Like she's still beautiful, isn't she? Gorgeous. And uh, I've got no idea who those two turkeys are. And uh, there he is. It looks very happy indeed. Uh, more American flags than you can poke a stick at. And we'll read the first couple of stanzas from this one. Quote, Donald J. Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States on Tuesday in a stunning culmination of an explosive, populist and polarizing campaign that took relentless aim at the institutions and long-held ideals of American democracy. The surprise outcome, defying late polls, showed Hillary Clinton with a modest but persistent edge threatened convulsions throughout the country and the world where skeptics had watched with alarm as Mr. Trump's unvarnished overtures to disillusioned voters took hold, end quote. So there you go, guys. Out of the three articles that were leading the New York Times, what is it, 8 p.m. here? They're eight hours behind, uh, well, eight hours, 16 hours behind. You know what I'm trying to say. So what is it over there? It's like two or three in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah, the top three articles on the New York Times, two of them uh, explicitly trying to claim that this dude either was or was appealing to the everyman, the common man, going against the establishment, etc. This guy, anti-establishment. And, and, the, and the 4chan and 8chan people that I was speaking about earlier, a lot of them do seem to believe this. Again, it's very hard to know how many actually believe this crap, but enough of them do. 
so, uh, so there you go, guys. That's the New York Times. And I'll just get back to the live chat to see who's in there. And um, Muzz Buzz says he's got to go. No worries, Muzz Buzz, man. Thanks for your contributions, dude. Always appreciate when people take the time to come in and leave their comments and their thoughts and what have you. And uh, yeah, so what I might do, just to finish off, I might just quickly um, stop presenting there and see if I can find, is there a, is there a way that I can, on the spot, uh, George Bush wins 2000 election will it take us to like an archive from the time i could do like a, a google search um that'd be interesting bush declared winner election night 2000 uh, let's see what we want is the uh the article from the time what if we go to some more search tools see what that does for us uh, anytime custom range what we want is from 2000, 2001. That's what you want, isn't it, really? Okay, so let's have a look. We just come out with Wikipedia, dude. I don't want Wikipedia. I want, I want news. Uh, here we go. The most unfair US election ever. Florida recounts make Gore winner. US election atlas. Uh, PBS. Uh, let's see how stuff works. New York Times examining the vote. Now they're all talking about the disputed Florida aspect of the 2000 election. Now let's go to BBC. Let's go to BBC. See what they have to say about it. BBC.co.uk. And uh, this, I'm doing this fresh, guys. Let's see what it, you know. I'll be interested to see what they have to say. This is the BBC on uh, November 8, 2000, apparently. Or is that, that just today's date? What's this What's this article's date? I'll see if I can find that for you. But in the meantime, uh, 2000, Bush and Gore fight to the finish. The result of the American presidential election is still hanging the balance hours after the last polls officially closed. Still being counted in Florida. Uh, phone Mr. Bush, Gore has given up. Learned that we're down a few votes. And let's see, a high tenant of blacks and union members appears to have helped Mr. Gore. Texas governor, slender advantage, possible Mr. Bush could win the electoral college. So not really talking about the, um, I guess, the characters in that particular article. Now, this is from the New York Times. Examining the vote, the overview study of disputed Florida ballots finds justices did not cast the deciding vote. This is from 2001, November 12, New York Times. Comprehensive review. Review found statistical support, blah, blah, blah. Florida's uncounted ballots. So none of these articles that I found in the first like, quick look off the top of my head are talking more about the vote count than the, the characters, the circus clowns of that particular election. So um, I won't be able to sort of go through and make a direct comparison there. But it wouldn't be too hard if I had just a few minutes just to do a proper search to find the articles from the day, what was being said about Bush at the time. And I would do that now, but kind of mean like five minutes of dead air which I'd really rather avoid. And I think this has been a long enough show. I think we've got enough covered today. Quite happy with the presentation that I put together. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's going to be about it. So what I might do is wrap this one up uh, just in conclusion then. Actually, just before I do, though, I live in Australia. Why not give the Australian uh, you know, perspective on all of this? Because, man, if you think uh, your country is too progressive or lefty, you should come to Melbourne, man. Seriously, you'd be amazed. 
So let's see, uh, let's have a look live. Trump vows to do a great job as president. Trump defeats Clinton in US presidential race. What has Donald Trump promised to do? And uh, and yeah, that's about it. So nothing too full on in there. I'll just read the main one just for posterity. You know, I see what I do online as uh, somewhat as a, a documentarian and not simply in the, in the sense of I want to make a documentary in a month's time. You know, I mean, documenting what what's happening while I'm while I'm here doing the work that I'm doing, you know, and I've been doing that since the start, even right back with the TransAsia thing, uh, with Jeffrey C and the whole, uh, you know, Truth Awards time back in uh, what was that February March 2015. You know, I put together sort of a compilation of what had been said on different shows and all the rest of it for posterity's uh, benefit. And uh, again, why not for posterity? Just do this one as well. I'll just screen share it. Let's get this one up and running. U.S. election screen share present to everyone. Now let's see, US election live. Donald Trump vows to do a great job as president. Of course, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, our national broadcaster. Last I checked, and this is going back more than a year, their national, their average, uh, sorry, their, their, their budget, the budget, the amount of money that the federal government gave to the ABC, over $1 billion per year. Now, in fairness, that's not just for their news channel and for their website. They also uh, do uh, radio programs and all the rest of it. So, the whole shebang, but more than a billion dollars, man. There's only 25 million people supposedly in Australia. So that works out to be what? More than $40 for every man, woman, and child given to the ABC to give us Marxist propaganda, uh, statist Marxist propaganda, if you don't mind. Yeah. Boy, don't even get me started. So anyway, US election live. Donald Trump vows to do a great job as president. Donald Trump has claimed a victory before a crowd of cheering supporters at his New York headquarters, calling on Americans to come together as one united people and congratulating Hillary Clinton on a hard-fought battle. Uh, Let's see. Kim Beasley spent five years in Washington as Australian ambassador. He told 730's Lee Sales. Oh, Jesus, a quarter past eight. There you go. He told 730's Lee Sales, most Americans don't want Donald Trump to be president Okay, so this this okay. Kim Beasley was our was an Australian opposition leader. So we've got a, a two party system similar to you guys in the US, similar to uh, Great Britain, at least up until recently, they had a largely two party system. Kim Beasley was the leader of the Australian opposition at least once, and he might have even gone around twice. Actually, he might have lost to Howard in two thousand one. It was Latham in two thousand four. And then Rudd 2007. It might have been Beasley 98 and 2001, right? The point is he was like our Al Gore, I guess. And um, he lost at least one election, maybe two. He was also the son of, I think, a minister. I think his father was a minister in a government, you know, 20, 30 years earlier, whatever. And uh, he's this huge dude. He's like six foot something, must weigh at least 150 kilos, huge guy. And uh, after his political career, once he had lost either one or two elections, eventually it was all over for him. And he got made the ambassador to the United States, which if you're a political, if you're one of these political characters, you know, this is, it's not quite as good as being prime minister or foreign minister, but it's right up there because you get to hang out with all the other well-to-do types and political hacks in, uh, in Washington and um, still be an important person and feel like you've made it in life, which I guess in, in a way they have. Like if, if this is what they think life is about, they have made it if you're the ambassador to America. No doubt about that. So anyway, this is our uh, ambassador to the United States, 
a former leader of the Australian Labor Party, one of our two major parties, son of a minister, just a, a, a big dude in Australian politics and contemporary Australian political history. And he says this, according to the ABC, quote, you'll find, I'll try and do his voice, haven't heard him for a while. He's got like a, um, no, I can't do it. There's no point even trying. And it keeps refreshing. Anyway, you'll find we're going to get a real legitimacy issue arise. Donald Trump will win the Electoral College. Hillary Clinton will win the popular vote. And there'll be a lot of unhappy people in the US that Donald Trump is going to have to reach out to. And he's shown no capacity to do that to this point. So there'll be trouble rattling around there. But that's their problem. That's not ours. Our problem is what he intends to do in the area of foreign policy. End quote. Okay, so his actual quote wasn't as bad as ABC is presenting it. Um, they're presenting it as him saying that most Americans don't want Trump to be president. That's he didn't, he didn't really say that. So the ABC has kind of done a number on him there, haven't they? But anyway, PM says Australia congratulates Trump on win. Look, I'll play this, but I don't think the audio will come through to you guys. But this is our Prime Minister. Uh, what's his name? Malcolm Turnbull. Five minutes. You guys can't hear this, can you? Tell me if you can hear it in a live chat. Can you guys hear this? In the live chat, they're saying they can't hear it, so it's not worth it. All righty. Blah, blah, blah. It's all just, dude, it's all, it's all um, circus clowns, isn't it, really? I mean, it's... To, ...to play our prime. Okay, maybe our circus actors are slightly more legitimate in the sense that, you know, they're the head clown of Australia. So it's not... They don't have to control this place quite as much as as the United States, I suppose. Like there are, I reckon there might be one or two senators in our Senate who are actually, you know, um, psychologically or spiritually independent of the system, if you know what I mean. I think that's at least possible. Uh, whereas in the US, I'm not, I'm not really so sure it works that way. I don't know. I don't really know. See, the thing is in Australia, I've worked for our electoral commission. I've worked for our, the Australian electoral commission. Plus I've worked for a couple of state-based electoral commissions. I've been part of election day vote counting. Like literally one of the dudes who counts the votes I've been one of the guys in charge of the people who count the votes. I've worked for the commission. I've worked with the people who work with the commission. They don't, from what I've seen, and I've seen a lot of it, they don't rig the votes in Australia. They don't need to rig the votes. People actually vote that way. I'm telling you, they'll vote. Labor one, Greens two, you know, uh, Liberal last. Or Liberal one, Labor two, Greens last. This is how people vote, you know what I mean? You don't need to rig the actual vote counts if you can just control people's minds for the mainstream media. They'll vote the way that you want them to vote. And you want them to vote for either red or blue or green, as the case may be, so long as they're not voting for genuine independence or, uh, you know, parties that are potentially nationalist. So long as they're not doing that, you're happy, you know. So, And then if they try and do that, as they did with Pauline Hanson, just imprison Pauline Hanson. No problems, you know. Get rid of her. Get rid of the problem. It's that easy. So, um, so yeah, guys, I'm telling you, in my experience, and I've got more experience than most when it comes to the elections in Australia, they don't need to rig them. Uh, they don't need to rig the, the poll counting, right? It's people actually vote that way. How does it work in the United States? Don't they have electronic machines now? I mean, how? I mean, that's just ridiculous to me. Like that. That's when I know that Australia's gone full retard. Is when we allow them to bring in 
uh, electronic vote counting because at that point you might as well just give the game away man just give the game away give the masses more soma and just just forget about it man within 20 years of indoctrination you'll have children going what you mean in the past they let the people vote wow that's can't believe they did that that's racist you know what i mean or something like that it wouldn't be hard to, to train people to believe that kind of crap seriously but uh, fortunately we haven't gone down that path yet and um and yeah so to an extent i think there, there might be some potential uh legitimacy to to the australian system in a sense of somebody could come along some real person could come along who is a genuine uh, difference to uh to the system to one degree or another the US system, I have no idea. But either way, I mean, he's still a puppet. He's still a circus clown. They're all circus clowns at the very top, aren't they? So it's kind of embarrassing I'm even bothering with them. But uh, if you just joined the show late, I did spend the first hour or two of this show doing that slideshow thing, the same thing that I did with um, the post-debate live show that I did. And um, I really like that format. I'm going to have to do that more often, find a bunch of memes or images that I like, just go through them one by one. And then, of course, what I can do is, once I've got some more time, start a new channel that is just for clips, you know, like just, um, you know, uh, these are a few of my favorite memes kind of thing. So, uh, see, but if you do go back to the start of the show, don't go back to the foot, to the very start because I give a rendition of uh, Star Spangled Banner and I ruin the most important line of the whole song. It was, I got put off, someone came in the room and anyway, plus I just wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't my best rendition. But I, sometimes when I sing, I can kind of sing like slightly not terrible, but uh, today, no, 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 not a good example. So, yes, yeah, so that's about it, really. So, yeah, that's it. I think I'm just about done, guys. Look, what I might do is I'll put the call out to my old mate. I'm not still um, showing him. Uh, I am, actually. There we go. I might put the call out to old mate, who uh, I know is a big poll fan, and if he wants to join us uh, just for 20 minutes to give his take as a poll fan, I think that could be very useful. So we'll give him a chance to do that. If he does, we'll go 20 more minutes, then wrap it up. But if not, I'm going to wrap it up right now. So you know who you are, Sam. If you're out there, mate, hit us up with a message. I'll send you the link. I would love. I'll just shut up and have a drink of water and let you speak as a as a poll fan, a man who uh, might consider himself slightly part of the poll scene. If you want to uh, give us your take, I would love to hear it. That'd be fantastic. A great way to round out the show. But uh, otherwise, I'll wrap it up. So, dude, send me a message in the next minute or two. And uh, while you're doing that. Let me see if I can find one more source. Let's have a look here. Uh, let's see, America's third closest election. I'm talking about 2000, by the way. Um, no, nah, no. Nah. But I'm sure, look, I'm sure if you went back and looked into the whole Bush thing, you'd find that he was going to leave the, leave the rest of the world behind and blah, blah, blah. All nonsense. So let's see in the live chat. I might just go through while I'm waiting for Sam, go through the live chat once again. Uh, just the last few comments. Sam's definitely in there, so Sam, let me know, dude. You're the only, you're the only poll dude that I know. If I'm being perfectly honest, who, in one way or another, believes. I'm not saying that you believe in poll, but who is as sympathetic as you are. So, if you uh, if you want to join us, mate, that'd be a huge bonus. But if not, we can just discuss this on another live show. Maybe another impromptu chat might be in order. And. Um, Freddie Sparks says 100% on voting, same in my country. I think he means the, the fact that you don't have to rig the votes. You don't have to rig them. Like people actually vote that way. I think that's what he's referring to. And yeah, I'm so glad. I mean, it'd be very easy for me, especially when I first got into this scene, to go down the path of, oh, it's all rigged. The elections are all rigged. And, you know, it would have been easy to go down that path had I not seen with my own eyes that people legitimately vote that way. And the people who are counting the votes, man, trust me, they don't, they don't care. You know what I mean? They're not... <laughs> 
I worked with a lot of people who were doing vote counting, and a lot of them, they're just there for the Saturday. In, in Australia, we vote on Saturdays. They're just there for the sat for the Saturday. They come in, they help set up the, the polling booth. It's usually at primary schools, that kind of thing. They get there early. They help set up the polling booths. People ask, oh, you know, how do I vote below the line? They explain it at uh, 5 or 6 p.m. or sometime the, the booth closes. They close the doors. They um, they pack up all the, the polling booths, these cardboard polling booths that we use. Then they um, they get all the votes together. Then they just start going through, putting them into vote one this person, vote one that person. Once they've got their piles, they count them up. You know what I mean? Like it's really that simple. They try and get it all done as soon as they can because they get paid by the day, or at least that's how I remember it being, getting paid by the day. So you want to get out there as soon as you can. Then they go home to their lives and just like they're not political hacks is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, the people who count the votes couldn't give a stuff either way. They're just there for money. And it's not too bad money, uh, you know, for a day's work. That's really not that hard. It, there's a lot of time. I mean, you have to wake up early because the whole thing starts early. And um, if you're not into politics, it can, I guess it could be boring in a way, depending on which polling booth you're in. Or you can be very busy, depending on which booth you're in. Um, you know, it really just depends on how busy your booth is. But, um, but yeah, they just want to get in. They do their work. They, they go home and uh, the way the Electoral Commission works is that they, um, how do I say this, they appraise everyone's performance afterwards in terms of were they punctual, you know, were they uh, able to do the work that needed to be done, you know, were they able to, um, to follow instructions, etc. And so if you, if you work well at one of these uh, polling booths and you want work at the next election, you'll get work at the next election, you see. So all the people who were there, uh, a lot of them are people who've worked elections before they're people who did the job properly. Like they, the point I'm trying to make here is they're regular people who are happy to count some votes for a bit of cash on a Saturday. They're not there to rig the place. You know what I mean? So the people who vote, vote the way they are told to vote by TV, red, blue, or green. The people who count the votes, they just count the votes. They're making some cash. It's that simple, right? And then I can tell you as someone who has worked with, um, you know, with the people who then transport the votes and then sort of centralize them into one uh, giant um, district or area, if you like, those people are all rigid as well. I mean, I can't speak for all of them, but the one, or every single one that I met or worked with, every single one of them, a genuine, honest person, just doing their job. So no need to rig the votes. Wouldn't be easy to rig the votes in Australia. And from what I've seen, no evidence of vote rigging. That's not to say that the system is perfect, mind you. I mean, it's these are humans. There are human errors that are made. Uh, I won't go into any details about um, any errors that I might have seen, but we're talking about trivial errors. You know what I mean? Like maybe... Uh, maybe um, somebody temporarily misplaces uh, a bag, then you have to go and recount the whole bag. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. But in terms of intentional vote rigging, which but nah, it just doesn't happen. There's too many people, too many double checks. Although we did have in um, in Western Australia, uh, we had they had an election where they had to recount the. I think they had to redo the entire Senate. Uh, w, uh, we've got six states in Australia. Uh, six, and each of those states gets. Um, 12 senators, six at each half election, 12 at a full election, a double dissolution or whatever. And um, this is off the top of my head, but they had to like redo the Senate election for Western Australia because there was a huge stuff up uh, a few years ago. So it was an accident though. From what I can tell, it was all accidental. But let's look into this one. Western Australia. This is what I mean, like human error. Human errors will be made. Western Australia uh, voting recount. Should come up with something. Uh, let's see, election, AEC confirms, here we go, 2013. So it wasn't the most recent one, it was the one before that. Let's go into screen share, WA voting recount. Let's have a look. 
This is what I mean, guys. Like, and you can tell too, like even just listen to the way that I talk about this stuff. Like this is stuff that I used to be into. I started doing all of this with the Australian Roundtable podcast. I got into, if you like, alternative research or thinking or the conspiracy realm. Started off just being interested in politics, reading about politics. Like I was talking about um, Kim Beasley before. Most of what I know about him comes from a book I read by a guy called Mark Latham, who was also our, uh, the Australian Labor Party opposition leader, uh, also lost an election, although he only lost one, I'm pretty sure, and then sort of went off the rails, punched a photographer, and now he's like a talking head. Like I've heard people try and say he's kind of like Australia's version of the alt-right or like uh, Australia's version of like a, um, you know, the talking heads uh, that are sort of seen to represent alt-right positions. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't. I don't watch breakfast TV or anything like that, so I don't really know what the guy says anymore. But I read his book. He had a book called Latham's Diaries, which he wrote maybe just after the 2004 election, maybe 2005 he wrote it. And it was very interesting because it gave insights into the way that the factions of the ALP work and all the rest of it. Of course, there's no real, from memory, there's no real red pills in there. It doesn't talk about you know who controls the money or who controls the media or any of that stuff. But um, just talking about some of the personalities involved and the way that they discuss things and... Um, he tells a story in there, uh, Mark Latham, about how he was chatting with Beasley once. This might have been when Beasley was still leader. And he's chatting with Beasley about challenging, it might have been about challenging the US on the Australia-US Free Trade Agreement. It might have been about that or something similar. And uh, the way that Latham tells the story in the book is that he has um, sort of said, well, are we going to challenge the Americans on this? And Beasley has said, oh, you can't do that, mate. Might have even been to do with the unions or something like this, right? And the way he tells the story is you've got big fat Beasley smoking a big fat cigar, talking about how they have to pander to the big fat unions or something like this. And um, for me at the time as a young, at the time I was a, a student, I was studying uh, an arts degree, obviously. And um, yeah, at the time, reading that book was um, very insightful for me because at the time I was interested in politics, not interested because I wanted to go into it, just interested in it because a lot of young people are, especially young people who do well academically. Uh, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of them seem to be predisposed towards interest in politics, especially if you're one of the latte lefties or a brainwashed lemming or moron like I was, you tend to be interested in politics and you tend to believe in it as well. So being able to read that book so early uh, in my life, way before any of this stuff that I now know, it was still good for me because it made me more cynical of the political system. And um, that's probably served me well. And I say cynical in the broad sense. I don't mean in the in the negative sense. I mean, cynical as in, I don't give these people credit. I haven't given these people credit for a long time. And of course, I was burnt by the whole Kevin 07 thing. But uh, anyway, so this is from the ABC. This is from 2013, November 4. AEC confirms WA Senate election result, apologizes over 1375 lost ballots. Quote, the AEC commissioner has declared the results of Western Australia's Senate election despite admitting that it misplaced over 1,300 misplaced ballot papers, WA's electoral officer, Peter Kramer, announced the recount results today, giving the final two Senate spots to the Greens and the Australian Sports Party instead of the Parmenata Party and the ALP. The, a has, uh, pardon me, the AEC has conceded that the ballot has left a nagging and almost irreconcilable doubt in the minds of voters with Commissioner Ed Killistain telling Radio National Breakfast, the gravity of this situation is not lost on me. However, he says the commission was legally obliged to officially declare the results of the ballot. Greens Senator Scott Ludlam, who initially lost his seat, says he knows the result will be challenged in the High Court, blah, blah, blah. And so what you'll find, end quote, so what you'll find is that, yeah, for uh, one of our six states, and I think they're our fourth 
most populous state, WA. So out of the six, they're fourth in terms of population. So one of the smaller ones uh, in terms of population. But they're still, they're a state. They get 12 senators. They um, had to have a recount because they stuffed up. They misplaced 1,300 ballot papers. Now, look, look, look at that. 1,300 ballot papers in the grand scheme, not really that many ballot papers, but it was enough to cause a, a recount or a revote or something like this. You see what I'm saying? I'm just giving the overview here. But the point of my story is, sure, they'll make mistakes. And, uh, and I can see why some people, especially if you were a Green supporter and the Greens dude missed out on the first election, why you'd accuse them of um, intentionally doing it. I could, I could fully understand that. I wouldn't even try and argue with you. Like if, you, if you're saying you think that might have been what happened. What I'm saying is, fair humans who work these elections, is it possible they make mistakes? It's definite that they do. They admit to it sometimes, right? But uh, in terms of what I've seen with my own eyes, uh, really, in, as, insofar as getting the red or the green, sorry, the red or the blue team into power, Trust me, man, the lemmings will vote for one of them uh, or the greens if they're really sort of uh, alternative. And uh, between those three, you've got four out of five votes already. You don't really need to rig anything from that point, do you? Because blue, green or red, they're all pro-state, they're all pro-Marxism, they're all pro-cultural Marxism, they're all pro-immigration, they're all anti-person, pro-centralized monetary policy. You you name it, they're all the same. You know, they're different at the edges and uh, lemmings being lemmings, that's what they focus on. But I think that's enough from me for today. So just recapping it. Uh, Trump has won. Wowee, what a day. Uh, I'm glad that I did this, uh, that I that I scheduled this show because um, who knows, man, maybe in five or ten years, um, it might be interesting to go back and listen and uh, hopefully I can forgive myself for the singing and for uh, the uh, talking too fast. But you feel like you've got so much you want to say and you've had one coffee too many and uh, that's just what happens. So hopefully I can forgive myself for that. But uh, just in terms of documenting it, talking about it uh, at the time, I'm glad that I did. Uh, Trump's in. Back to the future, 1980s style. Biff Tannen, if you don't mind, he is in. Uh, don't tell Polarization Nation Media because he'll tell you all about Back to the Future, how this was predicted. And you know what? If you're an open-minded kind of person, go check out Polarization Nation Media. I'll link to him in the info box below. See what he has to say about the film Back to the Future and what it predicted. You know, even things like uh, the Cubbies. You know what I mean? Like, um, wish I could go back in time and put some money on the Cubbies. That's not all that happens in Back to the Future. Far from it. Many, many things are referenced, especially if you freeze a few frames and just look at what's in there. Wowee. Well, was this, uh, was this all foretold 30 years ago? I wouldn't blame people if they thought it was. And if you go and watch that video by Polarization Nation Media, you won't, uh, and you're open-minded, you won't blame people if they come to that conclusion. You might not hold it yourself, but you'll say, hey, you know what? I can see why people might say that. We're living in crazy times, guys. You... Listen, you can't, you can't say a few months ago, oh, there's no chance Trump will get in. The Republicans are going to have to replace him and he's got no chance. You know, you can't be saying that and then Trump wins and then pretend you didn't say that. Even a few months ago, today was crazy. We're living in crazy times. And since we're living in crazy times and so few of us could have predicted what happened, why don't we just listen to the pe people who did predict what happened? Uh, no matter how crazy their theories might be. So I'll put a link in the info box below to Polarization Nation Media. Go and check that out. But uh, in any event, Trump's in. Trump's won, apparently. Wowee, what a day to uh, be alive. He's in, and uh, the alt-right will be celebrating, uh, many of them anyhow, especially on the poll boards of 4chan and 8chan. But, um, but uh, maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe there's a lot more to all of this than meets the eye. Maybe they should know that. Maybe the same way that the social justice warriors are so self-contradictory, Maybe a lot of people on the alt-right are as well. And uh, I gave my presentation, I gave my reasoning, and I've said a lot of things today that a lot of people would not have the courage to say. I wish that they would. 
because nothing's happened to me and uh, I don't think anything will happen to me. I think so long as we base our opinions on evidence, objective evidence, things that people can verify for themselves and uh, and don't wish harm upon anyone, don't sort of wish violence or threaten anyone and just talk about the facts, talk calmly, logically, rationally about the facts. Nobody's going to get hurt and uh, maybe we can all learn a few things. So uh, I gave the presentation that I gave today. We'll see where all of this goes. It's, look, you know, uh, Hillary wins. It's going to be interesting. Trump wins. It's going to be interesting, especially for those of us who follow alternative media, independent media, etc. Uh, you know, every day is an interesting day in this scene, isn't it? So, yeah, so Trump wins. I've given my take on that uh, a lot more than meets the eye. The usual suspects all over it, just as they're all over everything. Then I spent some time, uh, you know, reading out some comments from the live chat. I always like doing that. Thank you, everyone who took the time to leave comments in the live chat. Went through a few articles from the mainstream media about this. They were already trying to frame this uh, as Trump, the everyman who um, tapped into voter discontent. Don't you see, voters, you were discontent, and now we've got a guy for the discontented voters. That's what happened. Yes, you uh, you got you guys got the guy that you wanted. You know what I mean? You were discontent, but there's no need to be any more because now you've got Trump. So if it works out good, the system's worked. If it works out bad, hey, this is what happens when you're discontent. So they've already started that narrative. Uh, it didn't take them long at all. And then I spent a bit of time just talking about my own experiences uh, in this scene and uh, and also, you know, working in elections in Australia. They're not rigged here. They don't need to be. People's minds are molded. And I've explained uh, not just in this presentation today, but in past presentations as well, uh, why that is, uh, how it's done, the effect it has and what that means for us. So I think that is just about it. I'll just double check the live chat now to make sure nothing too important has come through in the final minutes. No, I think that's it. So I will wrap it up on the... What is it? The uh, It's 9-11, but it's actually 11-9. It's uh, the 9th of November, Australian time. Uh, 2016, this has been the Circus Results live show. Bring your own bread. I've enjoyed bringing it to you. Hope you've enjoyed listening either live or on delay. Make sure you check out johnlebon.com. That's J-O-H-N-L-E-B-O-N.com. And uh, there is a members section there, both free memberships available, which provides um, exclusive content as well as paid memberships, which uh, provides more exclusive content again. That's right. Go and check that out. Almost ready for full launch. I'll be launching the uh, the paid section probably next week or two. But the free section is there, and there's plenty of content waiting. All you need is an email address, and you can access that. And uh, that is about it. So thank you very much. I've said thanks enough, and uh, we'll wrap it up there. Until next time, guys, take care of yourselves. Chatelet and praise Keck. <laughs>